comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Uh, hello, this is Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Out Now Podcast. Hello. This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're taking a look back at the Ghostbusters franchise. Hey, Abe, when there's something kind of strange, and in your neighborhood, yeah. What what do you what are you gonna do? I mean, usually I just call Aaron. I'm like, hey, Aaron, dude, there's like some guy in your trash bins. Exactly. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe! Aloha! Pineapples for everyone. Out Now is a film podcast. Abe and I are discussing new movies weekly. However, every now and then, we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it be one of our fun commentaries or something completely different, due to a lack of new releases that inter- inter- interested us in any way. Uh, Abe and I have decided to do something different. We decided to do a little, uh, little flashback episode, a little flashback to a little movie called Ghostbusters. Which, yeah, yeah. Buster makes me feel good. And so it is watching the original Ghostbusters, which celebrates its 30th anniversary this year. 30 years ago. Holy cow. And um, and with that said, Ghostbusters 2 celebrates its 25th anniversary as well. Um, but with that in mind, Ghostbusters was released in theaters this weekend uh, for a limited time, for I guess I presume the week, um, for a couple reasons. One, because it's 30th anniversary, and the other because it is be- having a new Blu-ray release coming soon, this September, I believe. I will be reviewing it at Why So Blue, and it um, has a completely new digital restoration. So the picture and sound are better than ever, which is what prints I was able to see in theaters when I went and saw Ghostbusters in theater this weekend, and uh, we figured. You know what? Abe and I love Ghostbusters. Lots of people like Ghostbusters. Why not do a whole episode focused on Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, and everything else related to the word Ghostbusters? And, all of it. Yeah, all of it. All of it. We'll break it down, letter by letter. That's how we read it. <laughs> so, Give me a G! <laughs> and uh, joining us to discuss Ghostbusters, we have, from Just Seen It, she boils eggs on her kitchen counter for extra flavor. It's Leah Aldridge. Hello. It's the most efficient way to do it. It's a good way to do it, yes. And... Currently teaching film at Cal State Fullerton, he just showered after getting slimed. It's Professor Mike Dillon. Yeah. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Good. First time guest, Mike. How you doing? Hey, I, I asked you how you doing, but yay, have, good to have you on. <laughs> hey, thanks very much. Sure. <laughs> I, I should say that you and Leah do have some, some something in the works, I guess, some uh, some kind of show coming in some kind of future. I don't know if it's near or far. but Conversations just, are happening. Yeah. Kind of like wherever they are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll get when that when that happens, we'll uh, be sure to you know mention that again. Maybe even have you back on the show. Depends on how you do of games, of course. As a, yeah, that's the biggest key yeah. is if whether you perform well in games. Yeah, games is important. If you don't do good in games, then you might not be able to come back on the show ever. That's uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. We'll we'll make some we'll make some you know uh, we'll have some exceptions, of course. But did we yeah. did we play a game when we did our Twelve Years a Slave episode with uh with Leah? I, I want to say no, because we had such a great conversation. Leah, do you recall? Did we play games with you? I do not remember games. Okay. So I'm looking forward to games this time. Okay. Well, that was, I mean, that was one of the comedy events of the year for that discussion, so it was like hard. To, like, <laughs> how much laughter do we really need in an episode? That Michael Fassbender is so hilarious. 
He's so funny. I can't wait for the matchup yeah. trailer between Twelve Years a Slave and Frank. That'll be a that'll be a fun one to see. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's move on now. Since it's a bonus episode, we're gonna skip some of the top some of the regular segments of the show, but uh, we'll still have some other ones. With that said, let's get to some show notes first. Um, nothing really to announce beyond iTunes and music ratings. Good to get those. Helps people find our show. Helps out our show in general, and helps us feel better about doing the show. You can just log on to iTunes and maybe perhaps write a little review, give us a little rating, it takes almost no time, and everybody wins in that scenario, right, dude? If everybody does win in that scenario, and if they don't win, we'll make you a winner somehow, some way. <laughs> Thanks for that. Everyone's a winner, babe. Everyone's a winner. And um, what else? We do have a comment, special commentary coming up. We do do a commentary a month now, so I can say that discussions have happened about when said commentary is going to come. It's going to come pretty soon. So uh, you'll it's be, coming, yeah. Yeah, you'll know. You'll know hold, hold your horses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't let them go. Let the horses go. That's what I like to say. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, let's move on now. Let's get to Out Now Quickies. Jim. Each week on Out Now, we discuss one main movie of the week, but we also have other movies that we see during the week. Out Now Quickies. Jim. I got that one out. That was, that was kind pretty of good. Yeah, you were, you were stunned there at the end, but I understood everything because, you know, I know you. Yeah. All right. With that said, Abe, did you see any other movies this past week? I did not, but I did go to Seattle, and I went to go see my niece, and she's adorable. Didn't you go to say you're going to see Frank? I was going to go see Frank last weekend. I didn't get a chance to. How'd you not get a chance to? I unfortunately had to go do laundry. Dion, you, back me up on this. You, you had to go do laundry <laughs> instead of see a movie you were planning to see? Yes. Like you forgot? Like laundry is like, wait a minute, hold on, guys. I can't do this now. I forgot. The laundry, I have to do laundry. Were, were right outside my door. They were like, hey, you can't go see this movie until you do your laundry. And I was like, ugh, mom. Mike, have you seen any other movies this week? I just saw The Congress. Oh, I just oh. watched that this afternoon, actually. I, yeah, uh, it's good. Very it's cool. interesting. It's by, uh, you know, Waltz, by Waltz with Bashir guy. Uh, so you've seen it. I, I don't know if your listeners know, the first half is live action, the second half is mostly animated. I thought the second half was a less interesting, but uh, you know Robin Wright has become such an elegant actress. It's just kind of really interesting to watch her. Yeah, uh, ben Foster's a lucky guy. So with that in House of Cards, like she's she's top of her game, right? So yeah, I liked it. Yeah, Robin Wright is an actress that I've admired for some time, and after you know with House of Cards having come out, it's like it, it's like people have suddenly like realized how great of an actress that she is. And I'm, very, I'm just very happy that she's had more opportunities lately. So seeing a movie like The Congress, which is one of the more innovative films I've seen in some time, it reminded me a lot of something like uh, Synecdoche, New York, actually, or something of that kind of fashion, where it's just a, a wild idea that's that's you know in, inside of this kind of uh, sorrowful drama. Really, it was it was an interesting watch for sure. I'm yeah, still I'm still kinda, processing. Exactly, it. Yeah, I, mean, still, I literally yeah. watched like an hour ago. So yeah. like I'm still it's like still right in there. But yeah, that's the Congress from a. Uh, um, uh, Ari Fullman is the name. Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to think of. And Waltz, I really uh, did. You see Waltz with Bashir? Yeah, yeah. I was I was a big fan of Waltz with Bashir, which is way different <laughs> than the Congress, but, uh, to an extent, I guess. I don't know, there's probably more similarities than I think, but yeah, I I enjoy what what Fullman's trying to do here with his with his films so far. So I look forward to seeing what else he does in the future. Robin Wright was also in a Most Wanted Man out earlier this year with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, where she plays this kind of steely CIA, yeah, CIA yeah. agent. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have to, I have to wonder though, the kind of, um, everywhere appearance of Robin Wright these days might have something to do with her divorce from a couple of years ago. Yeah, from Penn. I mean, from Sean Penn. Yeah. Maybe she just wanted to take more opportunities or 
needs the money, or I don't know. <laughs> Could be a combination of both. You she's know? certainly she's certainly acting more though, and I do like her acting, so I'm you know I'm not complaining. Right, well, did you see her in? Uh, oh, what was that a, one with? Um, a door. A door. That's a movie. <laughs> that, that 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 was a movie. It was a movie. Well, she's in higher demand now than she's been in uh, for a while, wouldn't you say? I would say so, just because you know she has been winning awards for yeah, House yeah. of Cards in particular and whatnot. So I mean, I mean yeah, I think that uh, House of Cards is, um, you know, she was in, I guess, you know, the girl with the dragon tattoo and Moneyball, and she's had these these smaller roles, but she really gets to be kind of front and center in House of Cards, and it's a pleasure to see. Actually, I like her a lot too. Now, Forrest Gump is being re-released as well, right? For the because of 20th. Robin Wright, yeah, she she, sure, went, she yeah. went up to Doctor IMAX as they call him. <laughs> it was like, hey guys, I got an idea. And uh, the rest of history. Go the, <laughs> she went to go see President of Hollywood and Doctor IMAX. Doctor IMAX, yeah, the president. Yeah, they had dinner actually. I, uh, I, at Musso and Franks. I question IMAX's PhD, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, Leah, what uh, what other movie have you seen this week? I have not been to theater, but I had I did make a conscious effort to watch. The Lone Ranger this week. All right. Mm. Abe and, and I are not completely negative on that movie. That's hopefully. true. Uh, no, I'm not actually. Um, it, it's it, there are moments that are that are almost painful to watch. Um, pretty much anything with Johnny Depp in it. Um, but uh, I, I thought it was I thought it was interesting. I thought it was an interesting movie. I thought it was an interesting spin on on that kind of origin story as well as a depiction of that period in that region of the world. Um, so I'm not going to say that people should rush, you know, should set aside three hours of their time and catch it, but I do think if you're going to comment on it, that people should see it first. I definitely agree with that last point right there. I mean, there's a lot. I think Abe and I and, and uh, I believe David. David, uh, yeah. Yeah, we, we all came away with the thought that there's – there's a lot of interesting stuff in a very messy movie. That's what we kind of went with on that one. Johnny Depp is becoming kind of unbearable, though, isn't he? He, he, he is. He is just. It's just. I. 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 I fault um, Depp and Gore Verbinski and Disney for you know what feels like a, a very clear money grab based on the Pirates franchise. I mean, it just feels that way. But uh, Johnny Depp is really kind of almost intolerable in this film, in my estimation. I'd say anytime he was in the little big man makeup, I couldn't really handle it. But, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but there's a whole there's a whole like hour and a half podcast we've done about the Lone Ranger where we can recap our thoughts there. Um, uh, so I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Okay. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. I should say also uh, back to Mike for the Congress. Uh, Mike, do you watch it on demand? No, I went out to the uh, you saw it in the theater. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I watched it VOD, and the, yeah, that it is available on demand right now. So <laughs> well, I wish I had known that. <laughs> I would have just watched it at home. <laughs> sure. I saw Life of Crime this week. Um, Life of Crime is based off an Elmore Leonard novel. It's also a prequel of sorts to Jackie Brown or Rum Punch, the novel that Jackie Brown is based off of which features younger versions of Samuel L. Jackson and Robert De Niro's characters, and uh, Bridget Fonda, for that matter. They're played by Mos Def, now Yasin Bey, and um, John Hawks. That's bugging me. <laughs> I blank on that. And this is a, it's a, it's the kind of thing where it has everything you need to make like a fun crime comedy movie, given the actors. There's also Tim Robbins and Jennifer Aniston in art house mode, which tends to be better versions of Jennifer Aniston acting. And 
between that and the dialogue, there's in the like the it's set in the seventies. There's this period aesthetic there. Like everything is there that would presumably lead to like a decent movie, and it is fairly decent, but it's just not very great overall. And as someone that loves Jackie Brown and loves Elmore Leonard works in general, especially when they're you know adapted into films and the books that he's produced as well, there's it's a bit of a letdown. Uh, I would say yeah, the cast is great, but when you Compared to someone like Tarantino or Steven Soderbergh, who directed Out of Sight, um, there's just this movie just feels like it's lacking that extra kind of push to make it something worth really worthwhile. So uh, yeah, that was Life of Crime, which is yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be like amazing, but I was still hoping for a little more and didn't get it. Okay, who do you write to get your money back? Doctor IMAX. Doctor IMAX. He never responds. I mean, he's he's got office hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. IMAX. I'm going to have to check this guy out. <laughs> Give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to start a fake Twitter account just to respond to this. <laughs> Dr. Doctor spelled out D-O-C-T-E-R. Anyway, that's on our cookies. Yep. All right, let's move into it now. Let's get into our first review for the first Ghostbusters film called Ghostbusters. <laughs> Every few decades, an event comes along of biblical proportions. What do you mean, biblical? Real wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. Dogs and cats living together. This Labor Day weekend. Hey, anybody see a ghost? Celebrate the 30th anniversary. This is big. This is very big. Of America's favorite comedy. We got one! It's looking at me. He slimed me. On the big screen. I can't wait to get a look at this thing. Okay, who brought the dog? We better split up. Yeah, we can do more damage that way. Oh! Are you the key master? Is this a trick question? Smoke! It's the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. If you and your staff could please wait out here, we'll take care of everything. All right, so that should have been some of the trailer for Ghostbusters. This is the 1984 classic comedy featuring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, Cats and Dogs, Living Together, Little Madness, um, Mass Hysteria. <laughs> Mass Hysteria. This yeah. is, of course, the story of a few parapsychology professors who set up shop as a... It's a extermination service, but instead of bugs or vermin, they exterminate ghosts that happen to be rampant in New York City. And um, lots of ectoplasmic peril ensues. I guess that's the best way to wrap up Ghostbusters for the three people that don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> with that, we're doing this kind of differently, but we are, you know, kind of going over our thoughts on it first. So with that said, I guess I'll, I'll start with Leah, since you, Leah, have just pointed out you might have been one of the only people on this podcast that originally saw it in theaters. Do you do you remember your initial reactions to Ghostbusters? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I uh, I did see it in the theaters back in '84. I was a wee lass. Ha 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 ha. Not that wee, but uh, pretty close to it. And um, you know, everybody loved it. We all thought it was fun. It was it was it was a fun movie. Um, one that was kind of made seem like it was available or accessible to everybody, meaning a broad demographic. Um, and I just remember hearing the Ghostbusters theme played on radios at the time. So, you know, for 
as 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 the film um on like urban pop radio stations so the film did a really good job of of that was a very smart move having someone like ray parker jr um do like that that kind of signature song associated the title song associated with the film so it it did a good job of kind of wrapping its arm around this very broad youthful demographic with these uh, performers that we all knew and loved from Saturday Night Live. And, and of course, we had uh, meatballs and stripes and all these other other ways of knowing a lot of these these performers that uh, I just remember that it was just this 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 kind of um, I don't want to say phenomenon, but it was very popular and everybody was saying, oh, have you seen it? Are you going to see it? So that's my recollection back way, way, way back. Oh, my goodness. 30 years ago. Mike, how about you? Do you remember your kind of first time you saw Ghost Bird? At least you kind of older reactions to it i'm probably like you guys i don't uh remember a time before i kind of was aware that ghostbusters was out there i kind of had it on vhs at home watched it a bunch of times though but i i I have to say i haven't actually seen it in about 15 years maybe longer like it's a movie that i saw a bunch of times as a kid and then just stopped uh you know as a teenager and so it was it was fun to go back and watch it again and then i had to watch part two and i got all upset again but the (laughs) It was is having oh, not seen it. I, I like the second one. We'll uh, get to we'll, we'll get, get to, to part it. two. We'll get there. <laughs> Hold your horses. I have a Let thing those horses to say stay about rested. part two. But yeah, it was it was interesting not having seen it in that long to then just you know go back and within minutes like that muscle memory kicks in and I knew every line of dialogue and I knew every beat. Um, so that's that was cool. Gonna go back and and I saw it at the dome here at the ArcLight, which was uh, fun to see it with a big crowd and you know. The, the right kind of fans who, who go out to appreciate it. So that was uh, that was good. So yeah, it's definitely one of my sort of childhood movies. Uh, I remember watching it on television when it was on like a Saturday night ABC thing with commercial breaks. The beginning always freaked me out in the library. And uh, that's primarily because uh, I have some siblings that are older than I am. And they would go and study at the library at the local university. And we would go out there with them sometimes just to hang out. Because we're Asian, we have to go read, I guess. Uh, but yeah, the, the, sorry, the, li- library, li- <laughs> <laughs> biblioteca. <laughs> but that that library, you know, was freaking out. And then I I remember watching it um, later when I was older, and I realized that the television version has so many edits in it in terms of the bad words, ghost head, and all this other stuff that uh, made the movie much much funnier um, on the repeat viewings later but i always had good memories of it and i always i always enjoyed it and just watching it again this past weekend i laughed quite a bit at ghostbusters it's a it's a funny movie yeah i um in terms of kind of scariness factor and i never really factored it for me i really found it a, to be a scary movie even though i look back on it now and think yeah i guess i can see where people would be scared of it i think two more so <laughs> after watching that again <laughs> um but yeah ghostbusters and its sequel movies I grew up watching. I had them both on V. I had like the two pack VHS set that it was in, so I, I'd, I'd watch. I tend to watch them like both one after the other, just because like yeah, all right, let's do this for four hours. That's why it goes both. <laughs> um, but yeah, like in in general, like I've I've always found the film quite funny. The joke certainly made more sense as I grew up older time to you know get some of the innuendos and other a lot of jokes that kind of straddled the line a little bit more. And then yeah, watching it. This past week uh, was just a blast. I was trying to watch it with kind of a more critical eye just because I knew we were doing this podcast. But at the same time, I was sitting there with my friend. We were just having a ton of fun quoting all the lines, singing along whenever <laughs> the song came on. 
um, with the theater. We got the theater into a <laughs> into a sing along <laughs> mode when this with the themes when it was like the montage and the end of the movie. Yeah, we, so it's like the Pichan theater. We're, we're, I wish. Oh my god, that would have been amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I have very fond memories of Ghost. Ghostbusters is a movie I would consider like one of my favorite comedies like ever. I, I, if I made like, if I ever made like a top ten comedy list, Ghostbusters would be on it. So I have very fond memories of the film in general. Okay, so speaking of comedy, can we can we talk for a moment about some of the best, most quotable lines from the movie? Sure. Let's do it. You have one of mine? Um, no, of course not. <laughs> there, uh, I mean, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria is easily, like, the line that sticks out. One of the best lines of all time, right? I mean, there are just, they're just lines that have found their way into kind of the kind of like our day-to-day lexicon. Like, you know, are, are you the key master? Are you the gatekeeper? I mean, <laughs> I, because that's a hilarious line to say to somebody. I say I say back off, man. I'm a scientist a lot. <laughs> um, I also, if I would get locked out of a door or something, I I constantly go let me in, like Lewis. And, um, is it true that this guy has no dick? Yes, it's true. This man has <laughs> yeah. There's one uh, early on that I'd completely forgotten where he goes. Uh, Listen, do you smell something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get her. Yeah, you, see, uh, you, you uh, see Bill Murray just like <laughs> confused, but then sniffing at the same time. The line that like there, there's two. Okay, the, well, there, in terms of dialogue, there's one line that always gets me really. But when um, Bill Murray, they're like they're clearing out the room for Slimer to like capture him, and Bill Murray's like, "Wait, I always wanted to try this." He tries to pull the sheet off the table, and like he's completely <laughs> unsuccessful. But he says, "The flowers, flowers are, are still, still standing. standing." That line destroys me. <laughs> there's there's, there's one camera. <laughs> There's one line, I don't care, we're going to get into part two, but there's only one line in part two that makes me laugh is when he's doing uh, Bill Murray's on his TV show, and he says, up up next week, hairless pets, weird. (laughs) (laughs) He's got like a little hairless cat, and then he just picks it up and puts it back down. Let's, uh, let's go into this a bit more because Murray is for for one anyway. Murray is just classic Bill Murray in this movie. Like he, in terms of like a lot him, of physical comedy with him. There's yeah. a lot of but just every line he says, and like I know this for like a, just based on the trivia. Like every like the script was written, like they had an idea, but he just ad libbed like almost everything involved yeah. in this movie. Like every line, it's like he basically had an idea of what he was supposed to do in the scene and just came up with something better. And it just oh my god, it was. <laughs> He just, slimed me. I mean, I mean, you know, instead of explaining, anyway, he slimed me. I, <laughs> I have to be very careful about where and with whom I use that line. Um, as a girl. Got it. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's you know that's one thing about this movie. So I was saying, not having seen it in a really long time, it was a joy to kind of revisit it. But what's also interesting to me was what I misremembered. From the film, it's not as kid-friendly as I would have thought, right? Because there's a lot of suggestive material. Aaron, you were alluding to this earlier. Yeah. Like, for one thing, like, fellas, this whole series is a running joke about bodily fluids, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Until so, yeah. so, so we get to the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Well, even the, I mean, the second well, one is that, all slime. Like, that's the plot of the well, movie. The second slime. one has, like, Egon is sleeping with the mood slime, whatever that's a euphemism for, you know? But, like... <laughs> That stuff I feel like is iconic enough. Isn't there a South Park episode where Randy is caught masturbating and then he's like, oh, this is not what it looks like. This is ectoplasm. Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, you look at the movie and yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's like a kid's movie. It's rated PG because it was 84 and there was before PG-13 existed. But I mean, it's like, it's not a, 
it's not a movie that I would say is, you know, the family movie you're supposed to go see. Uh, it's just more of this is a comedy featuring a lot of comedic actors that you like. And it's not it's it's a, it's a for everyone movie as opposed to, a, you know, Stripes where, you know, it's an R rated movie like it. It feels more general. And that's something you brought up the the Ray Parker Jr. song. Uh, Leah before and that something I noticed a lot watching this movie you know recently just because I was trying to think of things um it is a very it, it feels like a a blockbuster summer movie like it feels like Ivan Reitman in order to create this kind of you know fantasy comedy movie he he went he went he really made it work as this kind of commercial thing that happened it doesn't feel like like if Stripes has more of a you know cultish reputation as being a funny comedy, Ghostbusters feels like a mainstream comedy that everyone could enjoy, which is you know no that's not bad at all. It's not a bad thing whatsoever, but it just feels very evident that there's you know there's there's product placement, there's big musical songs that were on there's there's a big like you know pop hit soundtrack in this movie. There's a lot well, of there's a lot mar- of merchandising yeah, that exactly. went along with it too. Merchandising, merchandising. Yeah, merchandising. Ghostbusters the flamethrower is amazing. I mean, there's a lot of just big yeah. There's a lot of there there's a lot of toys. There's a cartoon. Spinoff. I mean, there's a lot of things about this Ghostbusters movie that makes it just appeal to everyone. You guys, you guys caught in part two where they're piloting the uh, Statue of Liberty with like a Nintendo gamepad, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. But like, this is also crazy. when they would have made a lot of. Uh, maybe I'm misremembering this, but there used to be a lot of kids' toys that consisted of basically slime. Yeah, I had some. <laughs> was it was it Ghostbusters related? Um, I mean, I wasn't sure. It, I it mean, might slime has always seemed to have been like a, I don't know if Ghostbusters was the thing that launched it, but I mean, there I, must have been like a Ninja Turtles tie-in as well, right? Because it's Secret of the Ooze or something like that. I, I think it's those things certainly probably added to the remer- the resurgence of slime. If slime was popular, yeah. you know, earlier than just these movies, but yeah, it is like a. Like I personally, I think I talked about this in the podcast before. Abe, I had, like I as when I was a kid, I had ghost. I had a Ghostbuster. I had the uh, the firehouse. I had like yeah, the toy, the firehouse, right. which had like a it had a slide, and then the roof of it had like a grate so you can put slime in it, and slime would like drip through the roof of the Ghostbusters house. Did, <laughs> the, did the slime taste good? What did the slime taste good? No, I don't eat. I don't. Well, I don't know. I don't eat the slime. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean it could have been like sugar. That's or what slime. she said. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the most mature one of That's, us. I, 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 I had no a way. moment. I had a. I had a momentary lapse. It shan't happen again. Uh, just kidding. Keep it up. <laughs> no, but for Ghostbusters, uh, one of the things I like to do is um, I always thought that Harold Ramis, 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 Ramis was was quite square, just based off his Egon character. So when he showed up in films like Orange County or something like that, where he's a professor of admissions, dean of admissions, and I was like, oh, wait, no, Harold Ramis is a hilarious dude, but in the movie, he's just written as a square. Um, you say this, but he has, like, killer lines throughout Ghostbusters. He, no, <laughs> the way that he delivers it is, is top-notch, yes, but, you know, he, he's more of the, uh, the quote-unquote straight man scientist, but, yeah, he's got funny lines. I mean, Twinkies. Twinkie, that's a big Twinkie. Yeah. <laughs> something like that <laughs> the other thing I noticed uh, on rewatch was um, Ernie Hudson's character uh, I didn't realize that he had such little screen time and such little few things to say I, I, he has shockingly little screen time yeah he's, he's also yeah but you uh, know what he gets to be the magical negro in this film you gotta have one if you're gonna be a big kind of summer blockbuster and you're gonna diversify your cast you gotta have your magical Negro in there, and it's not magical Negro. But it's just oh, wait, 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 wait. When he, I don't, he, he, I don't know if he gives any sage advice to them. And, yeah, he does. He's not when they're advancing his way through this movie, I mean, yeah, this, this is the one. This is the Hudsucker proxy. 
No, he is. I guess the he one. kind of blesses New York at the end by saying how much he loves this town. But that's not. You know. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a whole scene when they're driving at night in the oh, ambulance, and yeah, he says, "Do you believe in God? This is the end of the world." My great grandpappy said, "This is way it's gonna go down." Yes, he's invoking magical negro negroisms at that moment in the film. I wouldn't go that far with it. I, they're just having a conversation. I mean, that's that could be anybody. Like, well. Well, part of part of part of the the characteristics of when we're talking about magical negroes is that they have insight to spiritual connections that everybody else in the film does not have access to, and they typically are a person of color, and and uh, everybody else kind of denies the kind of um, Judeo Christian connection with everything. I mean, the Ghostbusters, they're, they're just ghosts, um, but Ernie is the Ernie Hudson's character is the one that makes the connection to End of Days. Um, and so he's, he's trafficking on the fringes of magical Negroism there, but, um, it's okay that you guys don't notice it. It's okay. Uh, I, I just a, think your logic is a bit, is a bit of a stretch to get there. No, I think she's right. right. I think this movie's probably shockingly racist. <laughs> it's anti-ghost, it's, it's, and it's, uh, I want you to know that I've contacted the National, <laughs> National Association for the Advancement of Spectral Organs, Organisms. Is that really the, the association? The, the NAA, the NAASP. The other thing I also want to say is that Ernie Hudson's character, I didn't also realize how much of a dissenter he was, too. Because uh, when the group is imprisoned and whatever else, he's like, hey, I don't really know these guys. Like, Ernie. He I totally mean, tries to say one of the group. He wasn't there when things happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's seen some He stuff. establishes from the beginning, though, he's just there for a paycheck. Like, he's not there. Yeah, he's, I like yeah. that. I mean, obviously. He says, if there's a paycheck in it, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, don't believe I'll anything, believe anything yeah. you tell me. Yeah. I mean, he has more uh, He has more to do in Ghostbusters, too. We'll get to that. But, yeah, Ernie Hudson. But, yeah, you know, he doesn't have much to do in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah, no, he, he really does it, which is kind of a bummer. Because, I mean, he uh, does help save the world. What's not He does, yeah. He helps to cross his streams. So that's it. That role was written for Eddie Murphy, right? From yes, what I understand. Yeah, he was now written I, for Eddie Murphy, and, it, and that role, when it was in that version, there was a lot more for that character to do. Right, so they downsized it, obviously. Yeah, they downsized the character. Eddie Murphy declined. Yeah. Not that, I mean, Ernie Hudson's a fine actor. Um, he is. Who I, I, went on to do some good stuff. Father. Well, I'm thinking, like, he's in The Crow, he's in Congo. One of those is a good movie. You know, so he <laughs> went on to do some interesting stuff. I, I was thinking, probably I was, still acting, right? I mean, Oz, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was referring to, yeah. But, uh, uh, also, the acting. For, I, I thought the acting from Rick Moranis was really well done. He's just really funny, over the top. Rick Moranis uh, is hilarious. He is, and I miss that guy. And I'm glad that you know, unfortunate things have happened, but he's he's gone to be a go. He's he's probably a very good dad. Yeah, um, ba- yeah. Basically, so. if you like ever read about Rick Moranis, based on like things that have happened to him, I can have nothing but respect for what <laughs> Rick Moranis has yeah. gone through and how, how he's tra- treated his career. Uh, Wait, what has he gone through? He uh, his wife. His wife Passed away. passed away, and he decided instead of acting, he just wanted to focus just on being a good father. Yeah, yeah, just go because and... it was a little bit sad watching part two because I was thinking this is when Rick Moranis peaked, you know, because part two is eighty nine, right? So it, Abe's, sure. Abe's about to say um, <laughs> the Little Giants. <laughs> <laughs> well, now he's like, coaching the Little Giants. <laughs> well, he's also in uh, Flintstones in nineteen ninety four. I don't know if I really put that up there, but like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is nineteen eighty nine. Parenthood is nineteen eighty nine. This was like a big year for him. Yeah, and no, then it just all kind of peters off after that, right? All yeah, I know is... yeah. He everybody everybody kind of pretty much assumes that he kind of quit at the top of his career after his wife passed away from cancer. Um, but when you look at some of those performances, I mean, I just caught him not too long ago in Little Shop of Horrors, and I just thought, oh my gosh, this man, so talented, yes. so funny. Um, and him as Lewis in Ghostbusters is just 
I mean, he's just he's just fantastic. He just wants to do your taxes. We're going to have a little party. We'll get together later on tonight. So why don't you just come on over? I mean, I, you know, this guy. Are you the key master? I, I you know, and it's just uh, we all miss him, I think. And um, and uh, but he, he also was able to exhibit um, a degree of subtlety and nuance in his comedic performances as well. Um, and I, so I think that I, I, I feel very, I know that I really miss him a lot and, and seeing him on the screen, but you know, you get that this is a man who said, I got to spend time with my family and yeah. we get that. I, I will say that though, there is one scene that scared me when I was little and that's the scene where Lewis gets taken by the dog, by the dog thing that like chases mm-hmm. him out of the hotel. Right. Is at the restaurant be, outside? Yeah, at the restaurant because yeah. like it's played for comedy, but it's really scary. <laughs> like that, that's something that always like. <laughs> That, that always stuck with me is like, this this isn't good. Like, why are we not? Like, we help why is this, nobody helping you? Help this man. Yeah. Like, why is that? Like, just open the door. <laughs> that was. Pretty I also, funny. Uh, but then when he gets possessed, I love when uh, when he repeats everything that Egon says. Yes, like, would you like some coffee? <laughs> yes, have some. It's a, yeah. It. Uh, um, can Aaron? You you said you said you saw the Blu-ray. Um, copy i saw I mean, well the the re-release in theaters which is the blu-ray yeah and how was that um it looks great like the move i there's you can certainly when you know what to look for you can certainly tell like how certain effects were accomplished and like things of that nature it's not something i really try to focus on but like it's certainly it's there more not because it's too clear but just because it would look that way regardless really it's just now it's a different kind of a different age where you, it becomes less subtle but they're um the effects work is very creative. I think Ivan Reitman and his crew putting together this film, along with just being a really funny comedy with a you know a clever script, I think there's a lot of imagination to like these ghost designs. Something like Slimer, it's a neat effect where you have this, I guess, would be like a puppet, and then you insert it later and kind of add a ghost effect around it, and it's <laughs> it's a it's a neat like process of how that worked. And there's a lot like and there's even things like slime. There's a lot of um, Something I never noticed before, actually, when uh, when Pete when Vankman goes to Dana's apartment after she's been possessed to become the the gatekeeper, um, that's a vagina joke. Um, she um, what? In, in her in her apartment. Whoa, whoa, whoa! In her in her apartment. This movie's dirty, you guys. In her in her apartment, I never noticed this before, but like Vankman, he knows something's wrong beyond just the fact that she's acting crazy, but that yeah, there's there's like, slime all over her apartment. Jacket, yeah, there's, yeah, it's and I never noticed that before until I never, again. Neither did I. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, I was like, oh, he actually sees that there's like slime on her bookcase and on her kitchen doorway. There's just slime all over. So that's what triggers him to like, okay, well something's something's wrong obviously but there is the the effect like the um, the levitation thing that happens and it's one thing to make someone levitate but it's another thing to have her spin in the air and i thought that was a very creative visual moment like there, there's just things like that throughout the movie that i think really work yeah like some of my favorite effects are like the practical ones like the cold open in the uh, in the library mm-hmm. with ray finkel's mom uh and she yeah. Faced, yeah. <laughs> well that is ray <laughs> finkel's mom <laughs> oh yeah real sports nut uh <laughs> And all the card catalogs start flying out. I don't know how they did that, right? That those, those oh, effects that are too. still, or like even the eggs on the uh, on the counter. The eggs on the counter thing always. That's stuff, like, How does that work? Yeah, yeah the eggs that's, on the that's, counter. That's, that's all a, really great. Sigourney Weaver egg... looks really good in this movie, by the way. I just got to point that out. I would, like, I would agree. She I mean, looks yeah, good person, now, by the way. I've seen her recently. She, she looks she amazing, look. but she, she like she's a she's a very very good looking woman, and that hasn't changed. Uh, William Atherton's in this movie. 
as Walter Peck. The 80s, like, if you have, if you have, like, the bully from Karate Kid, that's, like, the bully in everything, William Atherton's, like, the dick in every movie that he's ever made. Right. It's just, like, yeah, Die Hard, oh my god, Die gosh, Hard 2. <laughs> you, you just want to slap him every step of the way. And it's not even, like, Bankman chiding him. It's just, like, he, like, wa- he came in wanting to be harassed. Like, that seems like what it is. It's just horrible. Although, he is just doing his job, though. But, I, but he's he? doing his job in, the, like, the most smarmy and, like, just uh, malicious type of way possible. Like, it seems like he could have approached this in a very different manner, and Bankman might have been more receptible to what he had to say. But instead, he just... Seems like this nosy guy that's just that wants to not believe you even before you've said anything. It just it's really bothers. So, so so let me ask this question. Um, at the very end, I feel like he doesn't get a whole lot of comeuppance. Like at least in Die Hard, he gets punched in the face at the end, right? Does he die at the end? No, he gets covered nah, in marshmallow. Gets, right, right. But here's the thing: for marshmallow to be that liquefied, it's got to be piping hot, right? So to be doused in it the way he is, I feel like. I feel like he died, you guys. Well, maybe that's the Ghostbusters three plot. It's just like Hannibal, where he's not like he's a he's a um he's like Gary Oldman in Hannibal, where he's in a wheelchair and he has horrific scars all over his body, and he's yeah. trying to get revenge on the Ghostbusters. <laughs> Mason Verge. Or he could be, be like in RoboCop. He got like some you know some hot marshmallow, so he's now just like a toxic Avenger that's gonna get blown up when somebody runs him over. No, mine's better. Anyway, no, okay. uh, <laughs> guys, you guys, we gotta call William Atherton and, and uh, Doctor Vicax. <laughs> Something tells me he's available. He's probably available. He popped up in something fairly recently. Um, I don't know what. Might have been was shot. he also a jerk in that? No, he's a jerk in everything. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't trust him. Just like I, I don't trust him either. I don't trust Peter Weller or William Atherton. Those are the things I'm I I'm saying, I, though, he gets covered in the in the marshmallow goo, and he lets out this really infernal scream, right? I think I think he's burning think he, to death in that moment. He just, he that, just goes like, damn you, Adams! The... <laughs> Apparently, on the DVD commentary, he talked about how this movie ruined his life. Yes, yeah. The um, typecast as a villain, you mean? Well, no, because people would actually like, pick fights with him. Apparently, like in bars and whatnot, just because they believed his character so much. Oh, it's the same way that we are right now. We we're just like, yeah, that guy's a jerk. Except we know that he's not. Probably. Not although, sure. although I commented that he really is just doing his job. I mean, maybe that first time, but the second time he's just like walking in, like just shut everything down. Right. I don't care how anything works. I'm not going to consider <laughs> yeah. any other option. I'm just going to say hey. shut this down, and then I'm going to blame you for something bad happening. Yeah. Like that. I mean, I just it's just one. And thing then he goes know. to the mayor and says, "Arrest these guys." Lenny. Also, when's the last time you heard Casey Kasem in a movie? I was like, "Oh, this uh-huh, is yes. the voice of Casey Kasem." Now, how soon after? This is six years after. Um, six years after Alien for Sigourney Weaver. Yes, but this do is before Aliens, was, right? Do, do, uh, yes, Aliens is '86. Yes. Do we think that this was a risky move for her at the time? Um, I, if anything, I just think it plays up to her not being in something more heavy, even though it's still fantastical or you know sci-fi, whatever you want to call it. It is a comedy, and I, I mean, I, I think she just took a chance on a movie that you know was funny, not necessarily one that's based in some kind of fantastical reality. Because she was doing, like, really, I mean, you know, she, what was it, The Year of Living Dangerously? Yes, yeah. Yeah, she was being a serious actress. She kind of went back and forth, I mean, because, yeah, then she had, like, Gorillas Aliens, in the, Girls Gorillas in the Mist, but then Working Girl. Girl. I mean, there's a lot of, she, I, I feel like she's she's tried to do a good balance of, of kind of more lighter fare and then more dramatic fare and throughout her career. Although she is the, the straight presence in the movie to, like, Venkman's 
being obnoxious, right? So true, she's yeah, a pretty serious character. She, yeah, she is the she's the reason she knows the Ghostbusters because she was mortified by what's going on in her refrigerator. <laughs> and then she saw the commercial on their television set, which you know was the commercials on are excellent. Reason. By the way, the production yeah. design of the commercials are terrific. <laughs> oh, two is even better. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the commercials were fantastic, but you talk about scary moments, you know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that Lewis moment when he gets kind of dragged away from the window at the restaurant. Um, that was that was pretty scary, but I you know I thought it was kind of scary when she was sitting in her chair and the, and then the chair slides back or snatched back and then the light from the kitchen. Um, it's shot like a horror scene, like they were, yeah yeah they're they're shot that way like he, like Ivan Reitman. I always feel like Ivan Reitman and like John Landis were like competing to have like comedic horror movies back in the eighties because they have like American Werewolf in London versus this kind of movie where they have these kind of jump moments. And yeah, this one yeah it does have. Sigourney Weaver getting <laughs> dragged into a some some room by dog creatures that we don't know what's happening. Yeah, I mean, so I think that I mean, I think that one of the reasons that this movie is so enduring is that it has a good, good, uh, good balance and a good mix of and shifting its tone, but it's able to manage it all very, very well um, with just the right amount of tongue and cheekiness. For sure, I think there's a there's a casualness to it because of the chemistry between Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Sigourney Weaver and Harold Ramis. Like it just, it's very well casted. Like it doesn't feel like anyone's going over the top. It doesn't feel like anyone's, there's a lot of underplaying, I guess, with a lot of the comedic lines, but it's just, exactly, yeah. it feels like the script is just, it's just clever enough. And I guess ad-libbed enough in certain moments to kind of play as this, we get that there's a ghostly threat going on, but don't worry about it being too serious and mixed with Ivan Reitman's, what he's putting on the screen in terms of the effects work and the kind of the you know the the pacing of it. like the movie moves quick like I was watching this like wow we're already at the uh, the keymaster stuff like I was just like I was so enthralled in this movie it's like wow this just flies by it really does fly by too um and that's kind of something that we can discuss on when we talk about the second one as well but the second one seems like feels like it drags a bit uh, even though they're relatively the same or I think the second one's a little bit shorter too um but yeah. it's longer is it longer it's like three minutes longer okay. But this first one, it really does seem as though it's it's really engaging. Is I I guess uh, the thing that makes it fly by. So I'm really glad about that because you can revisit it and still have a good time. So do Bill Murray and Sigourney? So Venkman and what's her name? Dana, Dana? Barrett. Yeah. Do yeah. they have good chemistry in this? Because I'm I, not convinced. You don't I think feel so? Like, well, I think it works in part one. It doesn't work for me in part two. Part two has a lot of like bad rom commy moments i think it's more due to murray but we'll get to that when we get to part two but i would say in this one i think he i think they do i think there's a i think when dana smiles in front of vankman it's because she's actually smiling and not because she's acting okay so hey leah let me get a woman's perspective on this is vankman charming very very kind of a con man and a sexual harasser at the same time let me just put it to you like this professors are all cons let me let me let me just put it to you like this (laughs) anytime a woman is approached by a man who is clearly exhibiting some uh uh, interest in her in an intimate sort of way when a woman knows that that's what's going on she switches in her brain and she goes am i going to play this game with him or not and then so many times, if you wind up getting laid, gentlemen, that's because she's made the determination in her mind. She says, OK, I'll play your little game. And depending on how I good your down, game take, is. Slow down a second. I'm taking some notes. 
So no, it's all about, it's all a matter of how good your game is, and Vinkman's game is very, very good. We know that he is not about being an Adonis, so he has to either be really funny or uh, really sharp in some other way. And she's real clear about the fact that um, that she knows that he's his charm emanates from his uh, comedic appeal, and women love funny guys. They do. They really do. They just really love funny guys for the most part. <laughs> hey, you know what? You can be really good looking and got no game. And yeah. and game over. Game Listen, over. I, I thought I apologized about that, Leo. You know what? <laughs> Till the day you die. Uh, luckily these are neither of Abe's problems. But um Oof. Uh, in terms of being in terms of being a con man though, like the thing I uh, the 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 scene that I'd completely forgotten about that I really liked that makes me kind of reflect in a funny way about sort of academia and and I know, the kind of the, the say, does it make you giddy? Does it does it does it make you giddy, Mike? Does it make it you makes giddy? me giddy? What it scene? makes me giddy is uh the kind of academic con uh, and just I was That's saying again, earlier like all his... academics are cons like uh, starting with uh, Doctor IMAX but the. <laughs> Uh, when he's shocking the guy, the this actor, right? Yeah. He's he's shocking the guy, and then the guy has enough, and he just like bursts out of the room and says, "Like I've had enough, I'm out of here. You can keep your five bucks." The five bucks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> five bucks. I, I haven't done the math on the inflation. Now. I know those are Reagan bucks, but like, <laughs> but seems what a he says low to be we, shocked. He says like, "Well, we only have to do the seventy-five, 75 more, times. more times." That <laughs> <told> <laughs> so like. Is it a commentary on like how academic budgets work? Very well, could be. You know, I think there's some sly commentary going on there. Yeah, but I mean, it is just yeah. It's a way like how do you introduce Bankman? Well, you have a pretty girl and some nebbish guy, and you have him giving all the credit to the pretty girl, even when the nebbish guy correctly guesses what's on the card. He still shocks me. That, that that's exactly who Bankman is. Like right there in that scene, and it's 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 well done. Like that's a great way to introduce a character. Because you're with them, like you get, like you get what the guy, like the guy's clearly fed up, but you don't want to root against Bankman all of a sudden because of this guy. Yeah, we we've I definitely do... covered a couple of the scenes that were, you know, a little scary when I was a little kid watching it, but watching it now, the only scene that truly frightens me is the idea of having your dean come in and just yank all of your funding. It seems, <laughs> seems just a little too, little too close to home. Because <laughs> that's every academic dream is to like have a dean. Every academic dream is to have a dean whose attitude is just like, you know, Vinkman, you don't play by the rules, but I like your style. You know, it just doesn't doesn't really happen. Does not happen. We haven't talked uh, about the end of this movie very much with Zool, like the actual plot of it. Are you a god? Yes. No. <laughs> Whenever you're asked if you're a god, you answer yes. Is that a like a magic like Negro insight that he has? It's funny, Abe. Um, we watched because we watched um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original, recently, and we noticed the kind of the end of that movie with the, the the New York backdrop going on. The same kind of thing happens in this one with them fighting Zool at the top of a of a New York skyscraper. There, it's you kind of could see that it's just like a very large, not a mat, but more of just like a background of like buildings and silhouette. Yeah, which... I noticed that a lot too, and it's like, hey, whatever works, though. It did work, and it's a cool set and everything, and the Zool, like the Gozer design's fun. There's dog creatures everywhere and whatnot. But what's something else be before that? I would say this is a very good New York movie, like in terms of like showing off the city and showing these people like kind of you know going around and catching ghosts within like a big metropolitan area. Like I think it's a good New York movie. I think that's something that's very present in like 80s movies in general, where they're set in New York just because you could film there back then. And it was, is like, it a better New York movie than a Woody Allen New York movie? No. 
uh, just because Woody Allen has like he makes it a character in those movies, right? Like, say, Ghostbusters right, right. Two, which is not as good of a movie, but it certainly makes New York more of a character in the sequel. This one is just more of like, yeah, we're set in New York, like let's do that, <laughs> but we still have you know places that don't exist, such as that the top of that skyscraper <laughs> and whatnot. <laughs> which is do you very... see the World Trade Center in the film? I don't. You do. Yeah, yes, you, you do. do. Um, in both movies, I think you see it when they're having that discussion about the the seas boiling. On yes. the bridge there. You do. And, you um, there, you see, you see a couple shots that are wide that kind of yeah. show. That part, that part did freak me out. Just the whole entire, like, oh, you know, there's this book in the Bible. It's called Revelations, and it's when everything's going to end. I was like, as a kid, that freaked me out. I was like, what? There's what? another thing to mention. Dan Aykroyd, he does believe in this stuff, like, in terms of, like, paranormal oh, he activity. Does. Yeah, he's, he's big on, like, that's where a lot of the story kind of stemmed, like, the idea of it stemmed from. The fact that he is not an occultist, but he, like, he has, he's kind of done, he's done his research on this thing, and he has... He, he, he shares like some beliefs in the supernatural. Like he is big on that kind of world. Like it's a hobby. Yeah. Such mm, a method how actor. Does, how does how does Donna Dixon feel about that? <laughs> she she just focuses on Blues Brother albums. She just wants him to lose <laughs> some freaking weight, man. So let's uh, let's move on from the first Ghostbusters. <laughs> wait, wait, so so hang on though. One yeah. one quick question about uh, Ghostbusters one. I do have a couple questions that really puzzled me. Okay. Like one is why. At the end, when the marshmallow just blasts over everything, why is Bill Murray is the only one who's not covered by any so, of it? So, one thing, that is one of my favorite scenes in any movie <laughs> ever. In terms of, like, comedic value, I love that scene. Where, like, Van- or when uh, Egon, Ray, and Winston all get up, and they're head covered to toe, in goo. Right? They're covered yeah. in it. And Vankman just pops up, and he's got, like, a dollop on his head. That just, that makes me laugh. So hey, much. are you guys okay? That, yeah. That is the craziest <laughs> thing. And that's easily because Bill Murray does what Bill Murray wants to do. And if he doesn't want to get covered in a bunch of cream for a movie, he's not going to do that. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what that Wait, is. Is that the story? That's the, yeah, Bill that's Murray exactly refused. what it is. He just didn't want to. Was he like, you've already slimed me once, I'm not doing it again? That's Yeah, that's it. It's a mix of that, and he just <laughs> knows what's funny. Like, that's really what it is. And, he, and to his credit, it works, because it's hilarious that he's not covered in goo. <laughs> and everyone else is. But, you know, that's exactly just that's his attitude. Well, like, that's pretty. Con- that's pretty consistent with that cheeky character. Also, he's it, like, oh yeah, he he would have ran away first, like after they blew up right. stuff. He's like, he just ran for cover right away. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, not that I, not that he wouldn't want to be in this movie to begin with, but I mean, he did make Ghostbusters so he can make Razor's Edge. Like that was part of the deal for him being yeah, this movie. Deal, right. Like it was originally what Jim Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi. Yeah. Jim Belu- Jim. John Belushi. John John. Yeah, Jim is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John Belushi, uh, uh, Aykroyd, and. Uh, and Rambus, and yeah, and Eddie Murphy, and then like John Candy was gonna be the Rick Moranis part, but um, you know when they got Bill Murray on, he's like, yeah, okay, well if you can fund my other movie, my you know art house film that I want to do, then yeah, which again I think goes for Ghostbusters too as well in terms of why he wants to be there, <laughs> and why we haven't seen a Ghostbusters three yet. Because they can't do another Racer's Edge remake. Yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, damn it. You have other questions, Mike? Before we move on. Yes. Okay. I do, and it's delicate. I'm ready to believe. There's you. a scene. There's there's love love an eighties montage, right? But there's a scene at the end of that montage where Ray is sexually molested by like a floaty female ghost. Yes. No, no, um, no. It's not it's not molested. It's just he wanted it. Well, no, he didn't say well, no. <laughs> he didn't say no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. and yeah, he didn't seem to be objecting. But yeah, he did. The thing sure. I did. The thing I never noticed before yeah. is that right before that moment. There's like one of those dreamy, dream, cuts, yeah. dream, dreamy transitions. Yeah. Is he dreaming this or is it actually happening? No, he's dreaming. I think he's, I think he's, he's dreaming. He's dreaming. It. No, he's, he's dreaming it because he's they're like, also he, exhausted. He's in a complete, from, he's in a completely like different location. It, right. He dreams yeah. into he's in a cabin in the woods and he's wearing a night costume. 
that's something I never noticed until I watched it too. He's he has like those he has like chain mail on him and like a sword's next to him. He's wearing like a knight. Right. Yeah, he's got you got like those. Uh, he's got like and, shoulder. And the ghost is like a things. ghost princess. So it's like it's right. it's like some weird fantasy that he's having. Yeah. Ghost so, head. But, but then it cross cuts with the others. Are they're all sleeping in a, in cots and they're all stirring in bed? Like, are they having dreams as well? They're not. They're just sleeping. Like it's like them, and then oh, like just, one of them falls over. That's Ray. Ray that's falls Ray? over. Yeah. Yes. That's wait right. a minute. Wait. 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 Hey, wait. Hey. What? I maybe I'm misremembering now. Where's the scene when the ghost unbuckles his pants? That's the scene we're talking that's about. The that's, that's the scene. That's you, the scene. You cut to scene. the Ghostbusters are all sleeping. You get to Ray. They're all sleeping because they, it does they the, had that montage. Well, it's just because they're, they're sleeping. They sleep. That's what they do. They. <laughs> it cuts to Ray's face, and it goes like dream cut thing. And then, yeah, then there's, like, a ghost hovering over him, and all the stuff of the belt happens, and then it cuts back to them, not in the location that Ray's at in his dream anymore, but back in the Ghostbusters, you know, sleeping area, and, like, he's the one that falls over out of his bed, because he's having, like, way too much <laughs> thought going on <laughs> in his dreaming. <laughs> oh, this... I didn't think that was a dream sequence at all. I thought that was... Oh. I mean, it, it cuts I, to an entirely I... different location. Yeah. Because <laughs> so it always bothered me why there was it that Ray gets his own room. Scene. Yeah, yeah, the shimmery, the doo 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 thing. Yeah, yeah, that thing. Uh, I saw that. And it has again, always like, bothered me. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a completely different location, and he's wearing a, a completely different outfit. <laughs> yeah. But doesn't it appear as though all the Ghostbusters who are sleeping in a row on cots, they're all kind of stirring uncomfortably in bed? It's not something I noticed, no. I kind of figured that they were just tired. They're just tired and sleeping. Yeah. And so the one who topples over is Ray. Is Ray the one that's having the, this the, fantastic sex dream? The Ray, the one Ray, that's the yeah. most into all this ghost stuff. Yeah, He's, the one that like gets uh, super excited and has like a camera. Basically, Dan Aykroyd wrote himself a pretty cool part. <laughs> like, I don't know. I thought they were all individually being uh, accosted by ghosts, and this was like some sort of spooky, <laughs> spooky sex orgy. Which don't get me wrong, I'm down with that. But that like, would have been hilarious always... if they if they cut through like everyone's dream. That would just just to see how how weird their dreams could be. Yeah, the dream yeah. montage really didn't make it through in the final <laughs> cut, I guess. Uh. You guys are you guys are too much. This is this has always bothered me. What? Why does Ray get his own little room while the other ones uh, are sleeping in cots? And so I feel well, like I'm too. This is yeah, a big running rational answer to the question. But... Is there a yeah, third? Is there another question before we move on? No, I think I think <laughs> is that it? I think I'm good. Okay. All right. So yeah, Ghostbusters. Still, I guess the, the other question to ask: Would you consider this like a classic, like a modern classic or a comedy classic? It's been, mm. it's been 30 years. Halloween classic. Well, well, know. tell me what another contemporary modern classic. Name another. Uh, what? Why wouldn't it be? So I don't know, do like, me a favor and name another contemporary modern modern classic. I don't know. Animal House or Young Frankenstein. Those are like like what's what's modern? I guess because this is 84. Young Frankenstein 74. It's 10 years earlier. Even go even Groundhog's Day, people. I mean, consider that a classic. Um. Well, why and why wouldn't it be? I don't think that it's. Uh, I. I mean, I do think that the humor is pretty timeless. Um. I think that the kind of the themes are, you know, are are kind of timeless. I think that the kind of performance elements and the way that you know it's more formal elements, like how it's put together, is very classic in its in its um, style of filmmaking. I think the special introduction of the special effects, while dated, they hold up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'd like to say yes. Um, so I'm not really. I, I'd like to say yes, but I, I also would like to know. Okay, well, is Forrest Gump considered a modern classic? That depends um, who you ask. It seems, but um, 
Yeah, it's a it's a tricky question. Well, I, well, I mean, I think I think by every metric that you would use to uh, assess whether something's classical, right? How iconic it is, how recognizable some of its imagery and the theme song and things like that. I mean, you still have people dressing up as Ghostbusters at conventions and Comic Con type yeah, things, right? And so it's like yep. it's 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 recognizability, and I know it's got uh, it's got several iconic lines. It's on AFI's top comedy or you know. Yeah. Uh, list or the, those sub lists that they create for genres. So yeah, I think uh, its longevity kind of speaks for itself. I mean, yeah, I would say I I certainly do. So beyond it being just a favorite film of mine, I do I do think it has just the things that would be required to make a comedy classic. I think it fits all of those, and not as you know more if anything a template for what a modern comedy classic could be. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's got it's you know it's it certainly has it mixed in with its love story elements. It has its supernatural elements. It's 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 broad. Uh, physical comedy. Um, so I, 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 I'd like to be able to say that. Will people be watching another 30 years from now? Who knew we'd be watching it 30 years from when it was originally released, right? That's um, true. You know, and, and still, I mean, do, do our children enjoy it? Do our grandchildren enjoy it? Well, I don't have grandkids yet. Here's, but here's the thing. Like, I watched when I saw it in theaters, there was a lot of parents there with kids who were of the age of clearly they had seen it not necessarily in theaters but when they are younger and they brought right. their kids now to experience this fun thing they like so it's like yeah it's clearly you know it's it's generational at this point that's for sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think so i mean i i did see it in the theater and my my daughter has seen it and it's uh, and it's one of those things that people talk about uh and you know like we did at the top of this um show run through our favorite lines from the movie so there's this whole nostalgic element associated with it as well so I, I mean, I think that. Why do you ask? I mean, I'm just, just you know, <laughs> getting a final word on Ghostbusters before yeah. we move on to the sequel. I, I would say another way to put it would be like, have there been obvious influences of this film? Like, I mean, when, you think of films when, that are very that seem very post Ghostbusters. I, I do think there are a number of films that kind of right. mix a, a right. paranormal aspect with comedy. Right. So I was thinking like Beetlejuice and things like that. Beetle, so, yeah, yeah, and even Ivan Reitman's other movie, Evolution. Or something like the fright, the frighteners. Frighteners. Yeah, like you describe when you see people that have a, some kind of job that involves paranormal people, you call them ghostbusters. I mean, so it's like it's like the. Would you Would you say Men in Black owes a little thing or two? To oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, easily. There is one thing in, in Men in Black that I like that I think does better, uh, and I think it's a, it's kind of a missed opportunity in Ghostbusters, which is the running gag in the Men in Black films is that New York is so full of weirdos anyway that it's the perfect place for aliens to blend in. So I feel like <laughs> Ghostbusters doesn't do that too much, except for like the, there's one scene where Lewis is being mauled by the yeah you know, the, the Hellhound, where everyone just goes right back to their dinners. It's a big laugh moment. That's the kind of thing that strikes me as very funny, right? I think I think that's the thing that Ghostbusters two tries to do mainly because that's where that's where Dan Aykroyd kind of envisioned the move, the move, the first movie being set in a kind of post Ghostbuster era where they're already an established entity. It's just that movie's not as successful overall. Right. But we'll get we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But I would. Yeah. I literally a second. Yeah. I think with Men in Black, I mean, when you have kind of people that are aliens that are disguised or you know blending in, Ghostbusters, there's not much room for you blending. I mean, they're ghosts. Like I, I get that yeah, you don't, you don't want to necessarily acknowledge things in New York or what you know you want to just act like it's business as usual or whatever just because it's weird stuff happening in New York. But it's just there are ghosts that exist that's different from. You know, aliens disguising themselves. Like, yeah, I, I I see your point, Mike, for sure. And again, yeah, Ghostbusters too. I think tries to do that a little bit too, also. But it, I guess, Men in Black, it uses that that opportunity. Is, it's more easier to accomplish, I guess, in terms of putting that into the onto the viewer. Like, you can 
you can clearly establish that New York is this kind of this area where where random characters pop up and you don't really pay much attention to it. But Ghostbusters because it's about guys running out and catching these crazy floating things that are flying around the city. It's I guess harder to not pay attention to something like that. There's a kind of a, a an arc between one and two that's kind of a joke, which is like you notice how larger metaphysical questions are always being ignored. Mm-hmm. Like there's this question of who are you going to call when you have a, a, a specter or a ghost or something, but no one ever touches on this question of like there are ghosts, there is an afterlife yeah. of people. Right? <laughs> We we know well, this for a that, fact now. That's a big flaw in Ghostbusters too that I'm about to let's get to. Yeah, five years later, five judge, years later, no one idiot. believes in ghosts anymore. Yeah. Sometimes weird things happen. Someone has to deal with it. And who are you gonna call? Right, suck in the cuts, guys. We're the Ghostbusters. The superstars of the supernatural are back to nuke the spooks. Two in the box. Ready to go. We be fast and they be slow. Make some time. Don't put any of those old cheap moves on me. No, no, no. It's different. I have all new cheap moves. So yeah, let's move on. Let's get into Ghostbusters 2 now. So yeah, this movie took place five years later, Ghostbusters 2. It's in, it's set in a world where the Ghostbusters were apparently like sued by the city for the actions that they took place at the end of Ghostbusters, and now they're barely working. They're actually doing children's birthday parties as opposed to actually <laughs> hunting ghosts because they've got a court order to stop pursuing the supernatural or something of that nature. It's like Peck won, basically. That's like somehow like he, he got in out of the it. end. Yeah, in the end he won. Except that he's dead. <laughs> Except he's pop, he's pop melted. The word is out. But the entire cast is back, and this time we added on Peter McNichol because we needed a little more awesomeness to go with the little more crappiness that happens in this movie. And um, yeah, this uh, Sigourney Weaver is not with Vankman, but she does have a child with from some former marriage that she had, and the child becomes a big part of the plot as a evil painting <laughs> wants to inhabit it. At the same time, there's a whole bunch of slime. Dot dot dot. So Here, here's how you know. Here's how you know that child is not actually Venkman's, even though we don't learn this in the first scene with the baby carriage. Mm-hmm. Um, those giant nuclear accelerator proton packs that they carry around everywhere. Yeah. Those Ghostbusters are sterile. <laughs> <laughs> no way, that's Venkman's baby. They're walking around with all. He's the not cancer. gonna show up on more Povich anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Mike, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on Ghostbusters 2? Do you remember like your reaction to seeing it? In the you know, I actually wasn't sure I had seen it uh, oh. when when I was reviewing it uh, for this. And all through the film, I was like, I, I can't remember if I have seen this. And then it took me all the way until the Statue of Liberty showed up. And I thought, oh, yeah, this is jogging my memory. Um, back to when I was like nine years old thinking, this is dumb. You know. So, yeah, I mean, it. Uh, I had seen it. I had no... Or very little recollection of it, which is good. So I was seeing it fresh. Um, it's definitely inferior to the first one. Leah, do you recall your? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was uh, very. I was very disappointed by the second one. Um, I, you know, it's interesting that Mike, that you asked the question about whether there was chemistry or not between uh, Dana and Peter in the first one. Um, while it wasn't necessarily hot and heavy in the first one, it was. Uh, in a comedic, fun, you know, you punch my shoulder, I punch yours kind of uh, way, there was, you did see attraction. In this one, I think by having her 
you get married, have a baby and get divorced and inserting this baby. I mean, they effectively close off any kind of um, opportunity for romance, which then decreases a certain kind of uh, personal stakes associated with the storytelling. Um, yeah, the world is going to come to an end, but you had this very kind of uh, they 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 try and, and embuy all the all the stakes in this baby and the painting. And I, I you know, it was just a hot mess. It was just a hot mess. I was um, I was not happy with the second one. Yeah, well, that's that's where all the rom-com stuff kicks in, right? Because you have these new stakes with the baby and there's there's like a really dumb scene where she's she cleans his apartment. And, yeah, you know, I put your shirt in the hamper. What? I have a hamper. Wah, wah. Yeah. And the whole thing, the, you know, the the whole arc here is like she's trying to uh, to get Venkman to grow up because he's going to become like the surrogate father. And, and you, know, bleh, you know, boo. It's been neutered. Boo. It's been neutered. Abe, do you have remember thoughts on the? Yeah, for the most part, again, it was a, it was a television movie. And I just I don't remember that much from it. I just remember that there was a giant poster or the giant painting and. I thought that was lame too, even though I was like, what, like maybe like 10 years old when I saw it. Um, the thing that I did remember quite vividly was the pink goo because it always reminded me of uh, children's cough medicine. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, not Pepto Bismol? No, not Pepto Bismol because there was like bubblegum flavored children's Tylenol that I remember that we had when I was a kid. And uh, I just drank the whole bottle because it tasted like bubblegum. And uh, that's what it reminded me of. So I was like, oh, wow, that's uh, that almost reminds me of cough medicine. But, yeah, it, when I rewatched it uh, fairly recently, I, I wasn't that engaged with it. And I think that's primarily because the story doesn't really meander, but there's not there's no real pressing issue. I know that they're trying to get this baby to this painting, but at the same time, it's like, well, why does that even matter? Like, all the characters are kind of just doing the same stuff, although it is a little bit more goofy and, and fun. Um but I, and then it kind of just goes ridiculous with the Statue of Liberty kind of just coming and walking and, uh, you know, going to attack the bad goo with good goo. I mean, it suffers from um, sequelitis, which is how do I top the success of the first yeah. film? I, I tried to, I tried to, again, like what Aaron did, I tried to watch that with a perspective of a critic in terms of, well, is this doing more, quote unquote, the same and bigger and better? Like some of the sequels do, and I was like, it, it kind of does, but at the same time, I can see that, um, like what Aaron was pointing out, if Dan Aykroyd is, it, if this was the movie that Dan Aykroyd intended to make in the first one, then I'm glad that he had a chance to show it off. Yeah, that's, I mean, the idea originally was that he wanted to Ghostbusters was supposed to be like, there's a lot, there were like a lot of different Ghostbuster companies, and like it'd be more of a, a reluctant kind of decision to make like this group like the group that like wins the day or whatnot and, and that's kind of the world we try to get into in ghostbusters 2 where they're you know the thing that exists after the fact where ghostbusters just aren't popular anymore with this movie my thoughts on the movie overall it's one that i i've watched a lot when i was growing up so i have a lot of recollection of it already and then i watched it again and it's just like it when you get older you just realize more and more what the flaws are and yeah this movie is very flawed i do think it has a lot of good elements in it. like i do think i think it's like it's fine overall like it's not terrible by any means i do i think there's things to laugh at i think there's a lot of creative visuals um it's just yeah in terms of a movie that's you know plotted well or significantly different from the first one it's just not that thing it just feels like another a fresh coat of paint to put over the first movie with yeah some added elements that just more or less don't work some that kind of do in weird ways but nothing that's all that inventive compared to the first movie like something like peter mcnichol i think he's great i think he does a great job in this movie as, ja as janosh 
Um, I, I love that character a lot. I think he's both he's both very creepy and very funny, and I think that's a very tricky thing that he's able to pull off in this movie. And I think he does a I think he does a good job of that. I do. I actually like Peter McNichol in the film also, but I do feel that it his presence in the film then says, "What do you do with the Rick Moranis? What do you do with Lewis's character?" Yeah. But they, and, but they seem to find stuff for him to do, too. Like, it seems like what's weird is that I think Lewis has a lot to do, and so does Ernie Hudson. Like, the supporting characters have a lot to do in this movie. Well, Lewis saves, comes in and saves the day. Yeah. Well, he, in his he arrives. He arrives. He arrives. Just let him have it, all right? <laughs> all right, all right, okay. <laughs> but it, it does, like, it, it does, it's weird, because it, I think the biggest problem is that it's like, well... The main problem, the main beef I have with the movie is that no one believes in ghosts, which makes no sense right. whatsoever. This is like the, the mayor's aide is like who replaces Atherton's character in the first movie. The mayor's aide, played by Kurt Fuller, this guy just bugs me to know. It's like, what world do you live in where like you did not see all of this take place and like just have nothing to do but naysay the fact that Ghostbusters exist? Like it just it boggles my mind. Especially, the, let alone the fact that the Ghostbusters somehow put out of business. It's like, what did you what did you experience that makes you think we don't need you anymore? And what happens to ghosts in between these movies? Are they just running rampant in, in New York, but no one can do they're anything on, about them? They're in Chicago now. They're all in Chicago. <laughs> what happens to the rest of this world? Are there ghosts all over the place? Like, what's that? But yeah, that's one of the things I, I found uh, kind of contradictory too. Is they're they're going to court. There's a court scene. And the judge is like, you know what, you guys are going to go away, your business is going to be shut down. And all of a sudden, oh my goodness, those two guys that I sent to death in the electric chair are back. I do believe in ghosts. You guys, everything I said has been rescinded. Well, he just kind of twists his arm to make it rescinded. Like, <laughs> he doesn't just say like right away, like, hey, guess what, guys? Just kidding. Like, it's more <laughs> of like, hey, drop, all, drop all the charges, then we'll take care of this for you. Like, <laughs> he forced him to do it. So is it because, so what's the, the painting's name again? Vigo the Carpathian. Vigo, okay. Is he empowered by pre-existing slime that is accumulating due to negative New York emotions, or is his arrival in the museum spurring the slime? That's what I always took it as, yeah. That because the that painting, that, yeah, that the painting was shipped there. That's what like initiated the fact that the the slime is collecting in weird ways. Because the slide does center around Vigo, like that's right. It centers around the museum or the art you gallery, guys, or whatever. It you is. guys feel at all like the movie's pretty inconsistent about what the positively charged slime can and cannot do? Because in the first experiment, they get it to like dance. dance. Well, they get they get well, they the get they get, to, to they get inanimate but, objects to move. Like that seems to be the. But the, the toaster, the, the physical properties of the toaster don't actually change, whereas well, the Statue of Liberty becomes fully Well, they, they didn't wire a Nintendo remote to the toaster. Oh, okay, that's right. <laughs> And they sprayed so much of the positive goo all throughout the inside of it. Yeah, they really, they really, went, to, they really went to town spraying goo at the Statue of Liberty. They, yeah, they only, I mean, they they only put like a, a special a, ferry to get there, too, to Staten yeah, Island. They only got a couple ounces into the toaster. Like, who knows what they could have done with that toaster? Like, it, <laughs> right. it could be the fifth Ghostbuster if they really wanted to. The toaster could have been <laughs> extra brave. The, right, the whole thing, to me, just seems like an opportunity for guys to be a big metaphor for guys ejaculating all over the screen. I'm just saying. That's it, how I'm, I always read it. You wouldn't be wrong. Uh, oh, it. Leah, it's, it's ectoplasm. That's <laughs> what you think. That's what you think. Yeah, that's what he said. Ectoplasm. The other issue I have with the movie, beyond the just the logic of ghosts that just isn't explored enough to make me like, it, um, it's the tone. Like the tone. This movie, I think, is also is scarier and goofier at the same time. You have a scene where 
where Winston, uh, Ray, and Egon go into the sewer, and suddenly there are decapitated heads on spikes that are all around yeah. them. Yeah. And the oh, ghost the train, train nearly yeah. hits them. I totally forgot about that. And, like, that's scary. And then you have a scene where where uh, they're like running they're like running in in their underwear covered in slime yelling at bankman and like throwing slime on random citizens and it's like what's happening like what is this movie we couldn't well, wash off this slime first we had to just run in our well, underwear they, they, <laughs> well they strip off their outer outerwear because yeah. they're saying we're covered in negative slime it's it's forcing us to be aggressive and negative so take this off and it's like you're still covered in slime they're covered in less slime <laughs> it's just that outer layer of slime i guess so but, they're, they're, Fine. but then they I'll run from, it. like, a random sewer all the way to the restaurant where Dana and Bankman are having their dinner <laughs> instead right. of, like, washing the slime off at some point. <laughs> With that in mind, this movie, because it has the slime aspect, it is trying to play up the, like, the, every New like, the mayor's, like, it's every God-given New Yorker's right to, like, be a jerk to everybody else. It's like, all right, well, this is a weird way to insert some commentary, I guess. Until like, they all band together at the end in this typical, like... Yeah, it's weird you how a, sta- like a Statue of Liberty walking through the city, presumably crushing a lot of things, is like bringing people together in like a very happy sense. Like they yeah, get it. It's yeah. like, oh, okay, we're supposed to be happy now. Like I guess, this, okay. this is a this is a New York movie cliche, right? Where there's like Spider Man does this, where the New Yorkers band together, and it's yeah. like, we're New Yorkers. You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. It's a thing that happens right? in New York movies, yeah. And it's not. I mean, because Spider Man. It was in that first one already, the kind of New York band together thing. But I mean, although that was a, a very post nine eleven. Yeah, I mean, yeah. for that first that, movie, especially, yeah, yeah that, that's that, something that's I would attributed to that too. Well, I'm, that's what I'm getting to. Yes, it, it like obviously having that movie come out after nine eleven. That's a reason why that movie was such a huge success to begin with, just because it's so pro New York and it has a scene devoted to New Yorkers banding together. And then every you know the other five Spider Man movies since have all had featured a New York scene as well. That kind of pro America, pro city kind of scene. That, uh, it sounds so weird for you to say the other five movies. I'm like, yeah, there have been. Yeah, there's six Spider-Man movies. Uh, yeah. That actually reminds me of something. So Ghostbusters 2 does something that's a real pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. It's when the movie franchise also exists within the world of the movie. And so what reminded me of so one of the more recent Spider-Man movies, there's a scene where Peter Parker's ringtone is the Spider-Man, Spider-Man theme song from the 60s cartoon. Yeah. Right? Uh, which yeah. logically cannot be, right? There's no possible way that he would be living in a world in if which it was, there was a Spider-Man cartoon, If it was right? singing the Spider-Man song, perhaps, but just the basic beat of it. Well, I just <laughs> find that those kind of things pretty distracting. And so Ghostbusters 2 definitely has that when they play the Ghostbusters theme song at the kid's birthday party. <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> that's oh, wow. I, I, dancing to their own theme song. So let's think about this for a second, right? That song might predate the first movie, but the first we're ever aware that that theme song exists is in conjunction with the first movie. So for them to know the song would have to mean that the events of the first movie have been made into a movie that they have seen? Well, no. I mean, it, it would mean that there's an alternate reality where someone wrote a song about these heroes, the Ghostbusters, much like there'd be an alternate reality in, of America where Spider-Man exists and someone wrote a theme song about Spider-Man and they just they become popular. Sure. Unless, l- listen, if I keep rambling, it's going to make sense, I promise. <laughs> the, the song only exists when the first movie comes out, right? So if the Ghostbusters had this 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 uh, moment of popularity after Saving New York, and all these songs came out, and they kind of incorporated one. That's one thing. But the movie comes out with the first one, which must mean that the first one is a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> that would make so much sense. That they have since seen and are repurposing the song for. I don't want to incept too many people on this one, so I want to kind of leave this alone and move on to other Do you guys things. need a moment to pick up the pieces of... Uh...
we're not talking about the average white band. That's my pick up the pieces joke. Moving on. <laughs> I will say, speak, speaking of soundtracks, I think Ghostbusters 2 has a better soundtrack than the first Ghostbusters. Yeah, I did text you that because I think it's very true. I think that the late 80s hip hop is a, just really, is a, is a better overall soundtrack than the first film, which is something I was very happy to notice, especially with that Bobby Bird theme song. I mean, it is pretty catchy. Like, all the songs are pretty catchy in the second one. Well, I mean, when I think of, like, Ghostbusters 2, I'm thinking by Bird. I'm thinking just that song that starts, like, it, like, plays, like, every step of the way when the Ghostbusters are, like, getting ready to go instead of, the main theme from the first movie, they they wanted they made a if there's a, if there's one inventive thing they tried to do, it's differentiate the soundtracks from the two movies by not playing the the theme song from the first movie and just playing new songs instead, like Run DMC and Bobby Bird. Oh boy, it was the late '80s. You know they were experimenting and they just wanted to make sure that people knew that it was a different movie altogether. Speaking of which, you were gonna say something about Annie Potts in this one. Yeah, um, she is like a redhead that looks a lot more like her cartoon than than she did in the first film. And I think it's because I watched the cartoon and I watched Ghostbusters 2 a lot that that's the image of of uh, of uh, Janine that I have in my mind. I've just got the red hair with the glasses, even though it's significantly different from the first Ghostbusters. It is significantly different. I, I don't really remember the cartoon that much, actually, um, which kind of... It bugs me because I remember watching a, a lame DVD, or I'm sorry, a Laserdisc version of a cartoon movie of Ghostbusters. I think if it was, I forgot what it was called. Uh, the real Ghostbusters movie? movie? No, it was, it was something lamer. <laughs> it was like where the kids of Egon and and uh, Spangler, um, they come back and they're just like, they're, they're going to take up the, uh, the Ghostbusting business. But I can't remember the name of the movie. I'm going to look it up while you guys chat. I love Annie Potts, but I, I I don't know. I just kind of feel that the babysitter thing didn't work for you. Yeah, you know, I'm just yeah. I mean, it's just so many things in this in the second film. It's okay, but so many things that much of the charm they 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 just kind of uh, walked away from all of the charm in the first one. So where her character was charming and humorous in the first one, she just got to be a bit annoying in the second one. Well, it's just. Um, both Lewis and what's her name, Janine. Yeah, you get the sense that they're trying to find new things to do with old characters. Yeah, right. right. So that they they want to bring back the same cast, but they don't know what to do with them. And so you get Janine, as a completely different character in the second one, doing things that consequently seem really out of character. Right, the whole babysitting scene, the fact that she'd be—I mean, she's she's hitting on uh, Egon during the first movie. Well, she's moved on. Clearly, yeah, she's moved like, on. Yeah. Clearly, clearly, they had like a one night stand after the Stay Puft Marshmallow incident. And well, like that's because then... Egon prefers sleeping with mood slime. Uh, <laughs> and all his interns but... want to get after his epididymis. So epididymis, it's a fun word to say. But yeah, so just the Lewis uh, Lewis Janine stuff is just uncomfortable, you know, because it feels too it feels too written. You feel the screenwriter just trying to shoehorn things in. Well, and you have uh, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Uh, helming this project is the second one also, but you just feel the studio, you feel the presence of a studio going, you know, you got to give us more, you got to give us bigger, um, give us broader, give us, uh, you got to top what you did last time. You just feel that kind of franchise pressure. And, and so I'm just curious, you know, they're talking about a Ghostbusters three and I just, I just, you know, wow, 30 years later, what could they possibly uh, do for this era where, you know, I, I have to wonder, let me back up. 
I have to wonder, would the 84 Ghostbusters work today? Yes. I mean, if it like, were produced originally for a contemporary audience, would that would that sensibility work today? I mean, in it has I mean, to be found a new style, but no, no it wouldn't. But I mean, would it <laughs> would it be? I mean, you'd have that, this is where that classic thing comes in because Ghostbusters, I do think, has influenced a lot of films since then. So you're saying there's a world that had, didn't have Ghostbusters to begin with. So you're getting this inventive idea for a comedy fantasy movie. Yeah, I do think it would work because you just haven't seen something like this before. Would you have a different cast, I guess? Like a <laughs> I, by default you'd have, you know, the Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill <laughs> right. Michael Sarah as Lewis. Um, <laughs> I guess. It's like is it Jenny Tatum is uh, Bill Murray's character. Um but I do, th- I do think the premise has enough in it to make it work for this audience. If anything, it would look pretty fantastical with the, you know, the kind of effects work that would be done today. Well, uh, I mean, uh, here's the here's the thing: is that you, sometimes when people try, when 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 filmmakers attempt to do remakes of quote classics, they there's a different kind of socio cultural and political context that's operating. And this is where the academic egghead part comes in. So. You think about 1984, uh, you think about, well, hang on a minute, you know, you're thinking uh, about it's the era of Reagan and it's the era of AIDS and it's, uh, you know, you've got Thatcherism happening. And so when you think about in a world where AIDS is emerging and uh, we've got this kind of backlash conservatism uh, that's happening across the country and then you have this film come along that's got all kinds of sexual undertones that's really subversive when you think about it. And you're thinking about the exchanging of bodily flu or the exchanging of fluids, right? Or being covered in fluids. They're, they're ooey and they're gooey and they're contaminating and they have to be eradicated. You know, you reading it within that historical context and within that world at that moment in time, if we were to tell this story for the first time in 2014, what would our, what would our kind of cultural context be that would allow us to have it still have the same resonance? So for example, I don't know if you all saw it earlier this year, but I saw Robocop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is also 1984, 80, 86, the original? 80, 87. Seven. Yeah. Seven. Later. Yeah. You know, so you got all that kind of stuff that's happening in the original Robocop. And then when they do it for 2014, they're really, it's kind of been evacuated of all of its politics to a certain degree. Not kind of. For, it's well, exactly, yeah. It's with the exception of like drones. There's just nothing drones, there. Yeah. Drones right. and, uh, and media, okay? And that's the not nearly as big of a thing in that one that is, is, is in the original film. It's more of like, let's just condense it to Sam Jackson coming on the set for three days to have a media thing going on. <laughs> we only got Sam for three days, so we got to shoot all of this stuff now. <laughs> well, but the thing you're saying, though, Leah, is one of the reasons why that RoboCop remake or reboot was kind of unnecessary is the first RoboCop still holds up really well in its kind of yeah. satire of corporatism and industry and things like that. And yeah. um, with Ghostbusters, you're pegging very specific contextual kind of 80s politics to it, right? And that's entirely valid. You wonder if it would have to undergo a kind of accommodation to more more contemporary things if it got remade. Um, like one question I would have is, are they going to set it in New York if they do a part three? Or if they just reboot it entirely, right? I don't think anybody's talking about that. But you wonder whether or not enough time has passed since 9-11, for instance, right? The kind of uh, not just ghostly presence that that comes to threaten people but ghosts that come from within kind of this these these specters that 
are all, I, already lurking. Uh, in I think given the number of big movies that have come out since 9-11, especially superhero movies, I don't think there's any reason not to have it still take place in New York. No, I'm not saying that they would not take a place in New York uh, out of sensitivity, but I'm saying that uh, the, the question for me becomes, has enough time passed since 9-11 so that every New York kind of disaster supernatural action film has to be seen through the lens of kind of a, a war on terror type thing because that's like one of the more available yeah. readings for a film that takes place in New York uh, that has kind of a disaster element to it but would that be the the framework uh, with which we would automatically kind of re, you know receive a, a new Ghostbusters film that's I, kind of a I think it's certainly it'd be unfortunate. I think if go, if a Ghostbusters three had to resort, you know, just if the movie were to have come out now as opposed to then, if that was you know something you'd have to lean on. But I don't think it just because I think the first Ghostbusters, I think it has more so than trying to work in any kind of subversive com- subversive commentary or anything like that. I think it just it it's it's fly, it's flying off the the casualness of the care the cast chemistry more than anything, and just because the script is able to incorporate elements that may refer to things that are based off societal context. I'm sure it could do that now as well, but I don't think it would uh, it would take away from what the film overall is trying to reach at. I guess. I just wonder. I, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, there. I, I, don't get me wrong. I don't believe there was any kind of you know forethought about you know one of our central concerns right now is AIDS and and all of that kind of stuff. So let's read that. Let's let's create a metaphor for that. I don't believe that that was operating no, at all in any way, shape, or form. But yeah. that is that is that is kind of a cultural lens through which you can view why something like that can tap into subliminally can tap into what we were thinking and what our anxieties were at a particular moment in time in history. If you were to do and that's one of the reasons why I think that because we are able to make those kinds of of associations, that's also one of the reasons why things can have such long lasting and lingering impact. I'm wondering what it would be today well, if we were to do it for the first time today. I think if today, I mean, you still have the 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 war in Iraq going on. You have drones, which is the popular thing for any big movie these days. And you have stuff like social media. I think social media would play a big factor into how Ghostbusters operate. You'd uh-huh. have the Ghostbusters Twitter page, and you'd have viral videos of ghosts going around, and that's how the Ghostbusters launch or something like that. I mean, there's a lot of – I mean, even <sighs> – well, clearly, yeah, we have we still have our anxieties around technology, although we seem to be less fearful of it than we were back in the days when things like the 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 net or whatever were coming out. Yeah. But I um I think we do still have the privacy. You know, these are the kinds of things that could find their way into the way in which we read these films and and how we make meaning out of them, um and just just in the process of telling a story. Well, I think. One thing that there may be some continuity from, you know, all, if we're talking about a part three, for instance, right, one thing that they could continue if kind of references to the AIDS crisis, no matter how subtle or subversive or even unintentional, um, that makes part one very much a product of the 80s. Even if those things don't quite carry over, there are certain things that I feel like that run through the series in more subtle ways that you could kind of build a part three off of in terms of like, private enterprise versus academic legitimacy. There's a, there's mm-hmm. a great line that Ray has where he says, like, oh, I don't know about the private sector. They expect results, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sort of com- competitiveness, but also, like, media celebrity. Yeah. How, yeah, and, and, and how powerful that can be. Like a world how... where uh, someone could write a popular theme song about you and you could sing it in your own film. Exactly. 
you know, or just like shysterism, media shysterism, right? Uh, in terms of like these personalities who go on uh, and pontificate, pontificate, they don't know what they're talking about. That sort of stuff becomes kind of a running joke, um, particularly centered around the Bankman character. But I can see that being especially relevant today. And that's another aspect um, that they could carry over if they want to talk about the waning celebrity of the Ghostbusters. Oh, for uh, sure. Because if any, I mean, obviously, if there was Ghostbusters 3 or if it was now, like instead of then, you'd cast it younger. Like, and then it'd be, you know, instant success based off some viral video on YouTube as opposed to, like, we just started right. a business or whatever. It's like, we started a business because we got popular on YouTube. Like, that'd be the angle they'd probably go for. It's like, guess what? Ghost exists. Here's proof. And I built a trap in my my basement. <laughs> and, uh, now so is the, is, wait, is the new one, how far along are they in discussions about part three? Like, is there a script out there? No. Of course not. No, right. No, so, so nothing's happening. Right. <laughs> they, so, keep, they keep talking about it. Well, no one I know is excited about it. No, why would you be? <laughs> but, the movie, no, the, the last movie was 25 years ago. That no, movie wasn't. Be, that, that movie wasn't taken well at the if time. If they do it, it'll <laughs> be chaos. It'll it'll be cats and dogs living together. It makes no it's sense. Hysteria, right? More excited but, for Ghostbusters three. They didn't like Ghostbusters two. Why you know, all these years also, later they want to see another one that no one wants to be involved with? Bill Murray doesn't want to do it. Harold Ramis Dan Aykroyd, like he's not been yeah, yeah. for years. Like and you know, it's gonna you know it's gonna contain just a whole lot of bad CGI as well. Uh, you know, just like creatures from RIPD just rotated right <laughs> into it or something like that. I, I just I don't and think it's gonna, gonna look good. And wings you know. and nothing but wings. I guarantee you that tra- that teaser trailer ends with wait, who are you gonna call? Credits. Like there's nothing right. there. Right? It's just. <laughs> but so this the question of like the role of social media, right? It's gonna depend on whether they construct a primary cast of young people and the old guys kind of make cameos or if they're front and center right because it's going to center around a lot of like oh we're, we're old jokes like oh you know how the young people do it nowadays kind of jokes right they're going to play on that a whole lot even though you know the whole thing is going to like the expendables then yeah and we've seen how well that turns out right yeah. so hence but okay. that goes to something that, that Aaron and I have talked about on the show, too, which is, you know, if you're going to remake something, you know, if it's a good property, there's really no need to remake it, unless it was a, a terribly received in the beginning, or if you're going to make it somewhat wholly different, but just borrow the concept, um, that would be interesting. But, yeah, it, for this one, we have such fond memories of Ghostbusters, and maybe not so much Ghostbusters 2, but we still enjoyed it, maybe to some degree. It's it's one of those properties where it's like, yeah, I, I don't know how you would make a Ghostbusters 3, because... I wouldn't want to see anything except for the original characters in there. I, I wouldn't want to see, you know, uh, Channing Tatum or Jonah Hill or, you know, uh, James Franco making these. Well, here's, I mean, here's the like, I wouldn't. I'm not like against the concept of Ghostbusters three. I just don't see the point in it. Like, if it comes out and it's good, yay, good for that. Like, if if the if it's announced that there's a cast and there's a script and they're filming, like, I'll certainly be curious because I want to know what's gonna happen with Ghostbusters three. It's just hearing it like said over and over again for the past, you know. 20 years that it's been mentioned like yeah maybe it just that doesn't excite me like g- give me something to actually work with and not just speculation because the only thing i have to go off is ghostbusters 2 already wasn't very good no one has any interest in doing this new movie so like why if there's some story that comes out it's like dan Aykroyd's been working at this for years and he just wanted to get the right people together and he's finally done it here's the official class list like yay all right whatever but like, until until something like that happens it's just like this story that keeps popping up like a groundhog and um, maybe it, <laughs> until it, you know, until it doesn't see its shadow, I'm not going to care about the story. So. Well, I think that reports about a Ghostbusters three uh, put it somewhere around 2015 and it's a reboot. 
Um, or like, at least that's what they're saying that it's, they're, they're planning on it being a reboot, which means, you know, Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray may or may not appear. Uh, so we may yet see one with, uh, Jonah Hill and Seth Rogen and, and, uh, James Franco and well, the, the Craig latest, Robinson, the whole cast from the end. This is the end. Which has <laughs> a lot of, which yeah, has, which has a end. lot of Ghostbusters in it, by the way, given the, like, the dog element, the horror elements in the This is the End. There's a lot of Ghostbusters in that movie. Yes. <laughs> But the, I mean, the latest rumor was what Paul Feig, that director of Bridesmaids and um, the Heat, he wants to do Ghostbusters with an all-female cast. I mean, it's, it's like the the reason that story annoys me is like now it's apparently interesting because it's all female. It's like whatever, make a good movie. I don't care, but just at least do do something or stop making rumors about it. Ah. I, well, Honestly, you know, the they te- gotta create buzz. They gotta create some buzz. The know. biggest test they have, really, though, is Star Wars. Like, once Star Wars comes out with the old cast and the new cast, like mixing together, and you see how that, you have to wait to see what that reaction is. Then maybe Sony will be like, "Hey, that worked. So let's try this now with Ghostbusters." Finally, maybe we'll finally give a green light to something, or we'll give. Well, some you know, they, you know, you, they've got other examples of that sort of kind of working. You know, Twenty One Jump Street, and you have these kind of cameo appearances in there. With uh, the many of the original cast members from the TV series. That's what I mean. That, but you don't walk in going to Twenty One Jump Street knowing the original cast is going to be in it. Let alone knowing that it, it's completely different from the original Twenty One Jump Street. Like the show is a serious cop drama thing. Right. I right. mean, this it's, one you're walking in just knowing that you like Jonah Hill and you like Janet Tatum, and now you like him more because he's funny, apparently. But it's yeah. definitely it's definitely fashionable though to have little callbacks and little cameos in clever places when you're doing when you're remaking a property, right? Oh, no so doubt. I think like. Sure. Like an Aykroyd and Bill Murray cameo, even if it's a full reboot, is kind of essential. I think people will be looking for it, even if they keep it a secret where they're going to appear and in what capacity, right? So, you know, it would be... She's going to show up as a zombie self from Zombieland as a ghost. Yeah, (laughs) looking for Twinkies. (laughs) There you go. I, I mean, like how, how, how upset how upset would you be if they pull off a Ghostbusters 3 or a complete Ghostbusters reboot and you give it a chance, you go see it, and there's no Bill Murray cameo to be found, right? I think I'd probably know ahead be... of time because Bill Murray's very outspoken about how much right. he doesn't care about it. So I was like, all right. I'd be more surprised if there was a Bill Murray cameo, really. <laughs> right, guys, I suppose. I don't know. He's, he's, he's all caught up in the Wes Anderson world or something like that. Um, well, he's been um, acting. He does, he does good work in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I... Uh, that's a... That, that's kind of a big gamble. That's going to be a huge gamble on on the part of the studios. I mean, they those those guys can't be front and center. Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray can't be front and center. We we have to kind of assume that they they can't be, especially since they're moving forward and neither of them have come on board and said that they were part of it. I, 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 with and Reitman as well, saying you know I I you guys got to get another director. He already made his Ghostbusters. They called it Evolution, and that was also bad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's uh, let's move on. <laughs> let's do so. Let's. Um, I think we've wrapped up a Ghostbusters conversation. Now we have some other stuff to get into with the feedback and whatnot. But um, feedback, feedback. In terms of discussing the films, I think we've done a pretty good job of going way in depth. Pretty thorough. Ghostbusters I, movies. Mike, did you have any questions regarding Ghostbusters Two you wanted to ask? <laughs> no. Okay. I good. did not. All my childhood mysteries have been solved. Uh, things that I also didn't mention: Ernie Hudson. <laughs> Um, he shaved his mustache, which was confusing me for the longest time. I was like, why does he look so different? And then I realized, oh, yeah, he shaved Oh, his he mustache. does look different, yeah. Oh, because you thought he was... did not even notice that until you brought it up. No, I've, I have a picture of me with Keith David and Ernie Hudson, actually. <laughs> I was going to say, you thought he was Keith David. Really? Yeah. Yeah, was that a that's, celebrity That's what event? they did in uh, Psych, the TV show. They replaced Ernie Hudson with Keith David for Gus's dad. Hey, Abe. Hey, Aaron. Let's move on down to feedback. 
Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is, of course, we'll go over the various answers that we received on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast, where we ask questions out to the audience, and they gave us some answers. Abe, you want to start this one off? Absolutely. So the first question we had there is, is there a horror movie that you would hate to be stuck in? For example, you might be stuck in the apartment building in the Spanish horror film Wreck, or you would uh, hate to be Ooh, stuck yeah, in... yeah, I'd hate to be stuck in that one. Oof. That one would be a terrible place you can't get out. I'd hate to be stuck in The Purge. That's actually one of the answers here. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, uh, Tyler writes, uh, the movie sucks, but I'd hate to be stuck in The Purge. There you go. Mike Jones' response is amazing. He says, that's Mike, Walmart yeah, on a Mike Black Jones, Friday. Right? That's actually just Walmart on Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> French I, feel, I, writes, I feel pretty safe in Purge 1. Just, you know, don't open the doors. I'd hate to be stuck in Purge 2. Yeah. Purge 1, as long as you don't have idiot kids that you hate. Yeah. yeah oh, my fine. God. I want to smack the snot out of that kid. I was like, <laughs> oh, dumbass. Anyway. I, I didn't watch it because Aaron told me that it would it wasn't that great. French show, Mark Hubbard writes... Well, being trapped in the cellar of that farmhouse in Night of the Living Dead wouldn't be too much fun, the 1968 version. Joe Jans writes, Faces of Death. Yeah, that would mm-hmm. probably be terrible. Uh, Mike Jones writes, Alien would be the worst for me. You're on a ship, yeah. you can't you can hide, but you can't go anywhere, uh, but you're in outer space. Yeah, wouldn't want to be trapped on that ship, yeah. no. Justin writes, uh, I would hate to be stuck in Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, any of the films. That, that would be pretty bad. I'd hate to be uh, stuck in Final Destination. That would be bad, too. It's always coming to get you. Yeah. Jason writes, I would hate to be in New York during the Avengers battle. I think that'd be pretty cool. I don't know. Maybe not, like, right under the building. Or <laughs> yeah, that, but if you're, like, if you're, like, if you're like in a neighboring skyscraper that seems to be out of the way, and you're like, oh, man, look at Iron Man. He's fighting just, big, giant things. <laughs> just watch yeah. it from New Jersey. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> New Jersey. Or from the Statue and, of Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> and Leslie she, Lane she writes. She slime all over you. Sorry. <laughs> No problem. And Lassa Lane writes, Arctic Station from The Thing, which is terrifying. Yeah. That wouldn't be yes. there at all. Yeah. You wouldn't know who to trust. I, yeah, exactly. And dogs could be your worst enemy as well. Next question we have, favorite movies featuring ghosts? Uh, Mark has, it's Ghostbusters, but since that seems like a boring answer, I'll go with Field of Dreams. Ruben, <laughs> Ruben has The Sixth Ooh. Sense. Mike Jones has Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. I can't tell if he's being serious or not. Oof. Uh <laughs> Justin has Frighteners, Beetlejuice, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Casper, because he's the friendliest ghost, Aww. Nightmare Before Christmas, and I've always liked The Wraith. One I still can't watch is Poltergeist and Amityville Horror. Uh, Kara has The Devil's Backbone, and uh, Abandoned, and Poltergeist. Devil's Backbone is a great movie. So it's Poltergeist, for that matter. It's still scary. Poltergeist is scary. The right setting, yeah. Uh, yeah, Nate- Amityville Horror gets me. That yeah? one, yeah, Amityville Horror is still kind of scary. Ryan Reynolds version? No, God, shut up, Abe. <laughs> Nebo has the one with Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore. Jokes aside, Poltergeist still eps me up. Uh, Cairo, the Japanese version of Pulse. Uh, the Eye, the hospital scene still he's used a lot of F's and this one has me up even though I know it's coming. Uh, James has, I know it has to be nostalgia and haven't seen it in years, but High Spirits and House 1 and House 2. Huh, yeah, House 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, House Phillip, is very post Ghostbusters. <laughs> Philip has uh, Return of the King, or the the, zombie, the Ghost Pirates. Um, <laughs> Louis has Louis has the others, and Danny has the Frighteners, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters Two, Scrooged, and of course Star Star Wars, featuring plenty of <laughs> Force Ghosts. <laughs> Indeed, it's an eclectic slate. You know, did, did I tell you Abe that I watched like Scrooge for the first time around the holidays? Like I never saw Scrooge. You've, before. you've never seen it before? I had never seen it before last Christmas. Oh wow, it's it's actually very like sarcastic and funny. I was really into it, and 
like the last scene of that movie where Bill Murray like is on TV and like explaining how he's learned his lesson and like like he's about to cry. That made me start to cry. I was like, oh my god, he's so there. It's perfect. That seems like, I watched I watched just that scene on YouTube like a lot since seeing Scrooge for the first time. I'm gonna have to rewatch Scrooge and, and maybe I'll feel the same feel these same affections. He's just like he's so like taken in by it. It's great. All right, so we have some bo- Ghostbusters questions here. Uh, Joe asks us, any idea where I can get a cheap, really cheap? Free khaki flight suit. Uh, I'm building my proton pack now. Halloween is right around the corner. And yes, I've tried eBay. Seems like any costume shop has them. Yeah. Or or check out like you know like a uh, maintenance or surplus stores. You know where you might find some janitorial supplies. They might have some khaki flight suits there. He's built his own proton pack. I'd like to know where he got a nuclear reactor. I mean, you he know, is a I student mean, over at MIT. From Doc Brown. I feel like it, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Mm, yeah, but the flex capacitor. No, it's a Mr. Fusion, right? You just like, attach it to his back. I think Dr. IMAX has all the contacts. How hard can it be to find a flight suit? Honestly. We'll find one for you, Joe. Uh, let's see. Jason Jason asked me to tell Abe about the Twinkie. So, uh, Abe, it's a pretty big Twinkie. It, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Then Eric has a story. I asked I asked if people can submit some stories that are Ghostbuster related. Uh, and so Eric has one here. He says, My best friend in elementary school and I were obsessed with Ghostbusters from the cartoon. We would play with the toys made to look like the gear and catch pretend ghosts. I was mesmerized by the ghost trap toy because it had a foot pedal and the door opened when you stepped on it. In retrospect, it was funny because I'd never seen the movie and eventually either a parent caved or something and I got to see it and I remember feeling let down because in my mind the cartoon was much better. I think I was also fully too young to understand the movie, so I'm sure that contributed as well. So thank you, Eric, for that story. Thanks, Eric. Um, also, accordingly, Danny also wrote us another story about uh, his experience with Ghost Specials. He writes, when I was really little, like two or three when the first movie came out, uh, me and my little brother were obsessed with Ghostbusters. We had proton packs and lived in the <laughs> and lived in the basement killing ghosts. We wore these toys we wore those toys down to nothing. Over the last twenty five years I still watch the movie and over my lifetime I have grown to appreciate the movie for so much more than I did as a child. It is one of the only movies that I have ever watched over the course of my entire life that I've always found great joy in. It's truly one of the all time classics of cinema in my opinion and its ability to span generation. Well there you go. Yeah. Danny's Answer certainly the in the classic the camp, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Danny. All right. So yeah, thanks guys for all the uh various responses. Do you I mean we've pretty much gone over Ghostbusters, I don't know, um in full, so I don't think we really need to go in, into it even more more stories. We're running along as it is. Yeah. So with that said, Abe, hey, what time is it? Oh, Aaron, I think it's time for some games. Right, this week's game is on a scale of, and this is where we have a scale of something like Rotten Tomatoes meter, IMDb meter, and um, you guys will have to guess the percentage or guess the number. This week we're doing IMDb's movies in 1984. This was actually a really good year, so if you can name the so you're gonna give us some just to name just to explain this a bit further. You're gonna you're gonna name a movie, and Mike, Leah, and I are gonna have to guess what we think the IMDb score is for that movie. That is correct. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. Okay. Ghostbusters. Oh, this is the it. this is the IMDb score or the Rotten yep, Tomatoes? The IMDb, the IMDb score. score. So oh. you can go to the tenth. I think it's like seven point eight or something like that. Okay. It's out of it's out of ten. You said right. It's out of ten. Yeah. I'd say it's probably a seven five. Okay. And professor. I'll go seven six. Just some one point above Leah. It is exactly seven point eight. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Oh man! All right. I know it's like high, but like not in the eights. So does that mean I beat Leah? That's kind of what matters you, to me. Yeah, 
I mean, are we going by first, prices first right runner rules? Up. We do go by prices right rules, but I did. Do go, I, yeah. I did get the point on that one. You <laughs> you, you beat me so often, Mike. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything, Leah, but you know, you do hold yeah. me back a lot. So there you go. <laughs> next one in 1984 is Footloose. Footloose. Oh. I'll say like 6.3. Okay. Though it should be higher because I like Footloose. <laughs> <laughs> Leah. Uh, you know, I'm gonna say that was a. I'm gonna say that was probably like a 7.9, okay. and I'll tell you why because it's got all those kind of like Christian uh, themes and stuff like that going on in it. Okay, Professor. Uh, bruh. so if Ghostbusters in the in the sevens, then mm-hmm. I, I want to say in the what did what did Aaron say? Six point one. I'll go a couple higher than six point five. I'll say. I'm gonna. Oh, that's it. It's six point four. I didn't so, go. Oh. Price is right rules, <laughs> Professor. You're over, so it would go to Aaron. Wait, if we're all over, don't we all bust? I didn't go over. He didn't oh. go over. He got six point three. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> and we're very strict about Price is right rules. Yeah. Price is yeah. right rules. Is we talking Drew Carey or are we talking? Uh... We're, talk, we're talking Bob Barker, bitch. Bob Barker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next one. Stay new to your pets, your cats and dogs, before they live together in mass hysteria. Chaos. Uh, next one, Sixteen Candles, another 1984 classic. I'll say 7.1. Okay, Leah. Um, mm, I'm gonna give that a. What did you What did you say? Uh, 7.1. 7.1. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give that a six and a half. Six point five. Okay. I'm in the sixes too. With that. I'll say six and a half. It was 7.2. Aaron wow. is on <laughs> fire. All right. People like 16 candles. I'm sure People Breakfast, do, Club's, yeah. Pre- Breakfast Club is probably like 7.6 or 7 or 8. I'd have to check for you in that one. That'll, we'll one. save that for our 1985. Yeah, we'll <laughs> the next one is The Terminator. Oh, Terminator is like 8.0. Okay. Leah? Uh, I was going to say 8.3. Okay. And Professor? I'll go 7.9. Is part 1? 7.9. Yeah, it's part 1. It is 8.1. Aaron said like 8.3. You're over, right? I said 8.0. Oh, 8.0. Oh, whoa. Okay, Aaron, jeez. Like 2 is like 8.2 or something like that. I was going to say 8.1, then I changed it. Yeah. You got to be a professor. Well, he went with 7.9. It's because is... he went first. That's why. You can go yeah, first we'll, if we'll you want up. to. We'll no. switch it up. No. <laughs> Next one. Never ending story. Ugh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leah? Huh. Uh, you know, I'm going to give that a 5.9. That's just my own bias, though. <laughs> yeah. All right. 6.2. 6.2. Aaron? Atreyu, 6.4. And it actually goes to Aaron again. It's 7.4. Wow. People That's like high. whatever that movie. They like that on IMDb. Yeah. Right now, Aaron has kind of swept already. I don't feel like I should have that point. I feel like if it's over, like, six points, then you should, like, you should get the point for that. I would get it? Yeah. yeah. We might do that. All right. Uh, a few more here. The Karate Kid. Oh, that that was a... Uh, I'm going to say that's an 8.2. 8.2? Leah? Professor? Mm, lower. 7.5. Okay. And Aaron? I'll go 7.6. 7.6. I'm going to give it to Professor. It's 7.2, but he's the closest one. Okay. Boy, I'm just all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Two more here. Nightmare on Elm Street. 
A Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the first one? That's the first one. Yes. 7.8. Okay. Mm, Mike, you go. 7.4. Okay. And Leah? I'm going to give that a 7.0. 7.0. It was 7.5. Professor, you get that. Wow. What did I say? 7.4. All right. Yeah. And lastly, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I hear someone typing, by the way. Someone's cheating. That's me. That's a, oh, okay. <laughs> Temple of Doom. Eighty-four. Yeah. Temple people. Let's see. Temple of Doom. This is tricky. This is tricky, guys. Temple of Doom. Some people. Some people don't like can, this. Can as you? Much. Do you know what Raiders got? Raiders is like eight point one Raiders or something like that. Got, uh, or it's like in the top. Tw- it's like eight point four yeah. probably. Raiders got eight point six. Oh man, yeah, it's high up. Yeah. yeah. So. And that More was 1980. And I think Last Crusade's like 8.0 or 8.1 or something like that, too. Yeah. Uh, Temple of Doom was stupid. <laughs> Is that the one where they're eating monkey brains and they got to take yes. out the heart and all that? that the, yeah. That's, that's the way. No time for love, Dr. Jones. Yeah. Is that the one? Is that the one with Mrs. Spielberg in it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Anything goes. Guesses here, Professor? Temple of Doom, I'm going to say. If Raiders is in the eights, then Temple of Doom is a 7.0. Okay. Aaron? I'll say 7.3. Okay. And Leah? Ugh. I, I'm gonna, I was gonna go, I don't think it's in the sixes. That's where it should be. <laughs> um, but I'll, then I'll just say 7, 7. Who, did someone say 7.2? No. No, no one said 7.2. I'll say 7.2 then. By press threat rules, Aaron would win. It's 7.6. Alright. So not too bad. Right now, basically, Aaron, you ran away with the game. Um, so Mike put I, up a valiant effort, though. So he Mike did put back. up a pretty good effort. He gets to come back. Leah, you're you're like <laughs> you you'd have to duke it out with Mike. For... No, I'll just show up and look cute. That's all. <laughs> we'll just we'll invite Brenna, and then you'll be on in her place. We're like what? You surprised us. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that was on a scale of great 1984 edition. All right, let's do this quick now. Get through some of this other stuff. <laughs> it's been going long. Speedy loss, yes. Speedy uh, I don't know. Down now, these are movies that are coming out on DVD or Blu-ray this week. Uh, they came together. It's hilarious. Go see this yes, movie. Go see it. Draft day. Not a good movie. Don't see it. Mom's night out. Who cares? For no good reason. It's a cool doc. Check it out. Night moves. Jesse Eisenberg. You like him? Go see this movie, maybe. Person of interest. That's a TV show I hear. Always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> it's still on. If you like it, go good. Okay, that was a number until that now. <laughs> okay. Slamming. Okay, next week's show. Next, this is good, Abe. Woo! The summer has ended, so we yeah. now get to do our results show for our summer wager. You, myself, Mark Hoban, Maxwell, Alan Aguilera, Jordan, and Jose have all participated in this. We all predicted what we thought the top ten films of the summer, domestic box office-wise, would be. And so now we're going to go into what the results of that will be. That'll be next week's show. That should be a lot of fun. I got to add up all those numbers, and it's going to be some. Yeah. It's going to be really exciting because I have no idea. Because all we <laughs> there was, was something that happened. Pretty cool summer. It was a neat summer in terms of predicting yeah. the box office versus what actually happened. So that should Great. be that should be a fun result show, and we'll be sure to Thanks get a lot million dollar arm for yeah. nothing. <laughs> or yeah, <laughs> a most likely lost. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Anyhow. Well, we'll find out. I mean, even with Jose and Jordan losing points because they didn't have their entries in on time, Abe still might come in lower than them. <laughs> we'll find out. Um, and yeah, so that's that's it. There we go. We've done it. We got through this episode. Woo! Our Ghostbusters flashback. That's going to do it for this week's episode about now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodazeek.com. You can find all my written movie reviews, as well as thewhysalu.com for all my Blu-ray reviews. And you can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Aaron's PS4. Abe? 
can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose, hashtag Aaron's PS4. Leo, where can people find more of your work on the internet? I can be found on Just Seen It, uh, that which is www.justseenit.com. We can also be found on Hulu and YouTube. Great. Mike, are there places people can find you online? No, I'm I'm not good at stuff. Okay. <laughs> good to know. Maybe next time. He's we'll working see. on it. Yeah. Yeah. You can find him on this Out Now podcast episode. Woo! <laughs> Professor Mike. I'm not a I'm not on tweet. <laughs> no problem. Uh, but yeah, you can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron Abe on over on uh, iTunes and at Stitcher as well as at hhwlod.com. That is, of course, the podcast network that hosts our show along with other shows about comics and games and fun stuff like that. You can also find our episodes over at outnow.podomatic.com as well as soundcloud.com slash outnowpodcast. And feel free to email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on Ghostbusters or anything else we might have talked about during this week. Interact with us over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And of course, follow our Tumblr page, outnowpodcast.tumblr.com and, and feel free to leave us a voicemail at 972-798-3830. You can hear an audio version of yourself on this very show. Show, show, show. Leah, Mike, thank you very much thank for joining you. us this week. Thank, thank you. you for having me. This was, that was a, fun. It was a good discussion. Was a lot, yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting tidbits. Yeah. Oh, we broke it down. Yeah, I'm finally not afraid of no ghost anymore. <laughs> that's what she says <laughs> so yeah that's uh, that's been the flashback Ghostbusters episode a lot of fun stuff hope you guys enjoyed it until next time when we discuss the summer results so long and goodbye your love lifting me higher than I've ever been lifted before so keep it up quench my desire I'll be at your side forevermore. You know your love keeps on lifting higher, higher and higher. I said your love keeps on lifting higher and higher. Now once I was downhearted. Disappointment was my closest friend But then you came and he soon departed And you know he never showed his face again When when has the Benny Hill theme song not helped the film, Leah? Exactly, exactly (laughs) It was great in 12 Years a Slave, that's for sure (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, we're back there again Oh, no. It was that. Paul Dano and his gang chasing around. <laughs> you would tell. <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to get hanged. Oh, you're going to get hanged. It was great. Man, I can't tell if we're reading way much into it or if like this is all just... Yeah, I think it's true. I think it's 100% there. Holy you know, because the movies... I mean, I mean, the movie's pretty risque in a lot of places. This is like the stuff I didn't remember. Uh, like Dana at one point flat out says, I want you inside me. Yeah. Right. That scene. Yeah, that yeah. line. That line really surprised well, me. Well, Bill Murray's line is amazing. Out. It's like, well, I think you already have a couple guys inside you. <laughs> 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 or even like, or even like the, or even like the 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 grabby arms that burst out of uh, the armchair. Yeah, they're getting pretty, you know, fresh with her as well, right? The whole thing. There. Yeah. There's a. There's. And let's not this forget really these guys stuff. are stand-up comics. I mean, or excuse me, these guys are comedians. And were and very very sharp, 
and are good at double entendre. And it's all throughout the movie. It's all there. Come on. They're covered it's absolutely in there. sticky white goo. Come on. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The Ghostbusters the same way again. 